Ladies and gentlemen, brand new podcast, brand new Birdcast. Like I said, uh, we're trying to bang out as many of these a week as possible. Trying to give you more content. I know that some people, uh, I'm like myself included. I get excited when I see a new podcast. I get on a plane. For you, you might be getting in a bus or in a in a in a in a subway or or driving cross country. What? Or driving cross cross country? Yeah. So you're like, fuck yeah, why not? Today's guest, oh, Body Shots World Tour. We have added some club dates to Bloomington, Indiana, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and Oxnard, California, November 10th, 6th, and 11th, respectively, or 13th, respectively. I love using the word respectively. Oh, do you know what that means? Yeah, in I, order. Do you know what that means? If I go, I'm sitting here with Isla and Leanne, and they are 12, 13 and f- 62. How old are you, Leanne? What? Um, anyway, respectively, respectively, today's podcast guest is, uh, Jeannie Gaffigan. Jeannie Gaffigan is married to, uh, Dane Cook. No, I'm kidding. Jim Gaffigan, obviously. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I was wanting to laugh off that. What if I just hired you? What if I gave you a job? Isla as you became my laugher. Like I said things and you just giggled. (laughs) Literally my job. By the way, your job right now is you say things and we laugh. Or what? you say things, I steal them and take them on stage, and they laugh. Um, what? But uh, I, I did a podcast with Jim, and he talked about uh, Jeannie going through brain a brain tumor. And that is something that, honestly, I, it, it fascinates me in a way. To deal with stuff like that in life fascinates me beyond ex- explanation. I can't even tell you. How, how to, to run up against a wall like that in life, I just go, so how did you get through it? Yeah. Um. She wrote a book, When Life Gives You Pairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's out right now. You can order it on Amazon. You can. I'm sure you can go to Audible. G- yep. Audible. You can get it anywhere. Um, go Wait. to jimgaffigan.com. Go to geniegaffigan.com. I don't know I don't know what her website is. I should be more specific, but I know you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble online. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. It's When Life Gives You Pairs. Leanne mm-hmm. read the book. Yes, I uh, we uh, this week's episode of Wife of the Party is the book club of this book. Kathy Kirsten and I read the book and then book clubbed about it today. And that's released this week. Yes, it'll be re- so, yeah. So if you'd like to get the book and listen to Leanne's book club with it, mm-hmm. uh, you can. It is I, I heard the, I heard the story firsthand on this podcast, and I am no I read parts of the book. I know there's massive parts being left out. You, were you in the podcast with me? Yes, we did. Yes. Oh, Leanne's on this yes, podcast. I'm with on me. the podcast with you. Yes. <laughs> um, Thanks. Like for I said, she dealt with a brain tumor. She, if she had paid more attention, I think she said that she would have picked it up. She was so busy mm-hmm. that she wasn't even noticing it. Um, and she persevered, which wait, is fucking. Wait, 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 wait. What's the matter? How did she? How did she know? Um, did she get like headaches? She started getting bug bites on her legs. Stop, Dad. <laughs> And she wouldn't let she them was heal. terrified of bees. No, no, she, seriously, she was suffering from hearing loss and oh. didn't even really realize it. That was the first indication. Oh, I thought I was. And then she I had was, some other symptoms too. But maybe you should listen to the podcast and you oh, would know. Oh, I might. Oh, indeed. She had a pear-shaped tumor in her brain. It was not a tumor. It was a mass. It was a mass, and it was benign. Benign. It was yeah. And does that mean it was a? Vietnamese grandmother? Totally. That's Benoit, but oh. same thing. <laughs> there we go. See, I was getting her money's worth. Um, but you can get her book on Amazon.com. You can get it. I'm sure if you go to JimGaffigan.com, he's got a link. I'm certain of it. I don't know if Jeannie has a website, but you can also get it. I'll tell you right now. At Audible. Uh, you can get it at Audible. You can get it at BarnesandNoble.com. Um, get it. 
get it and, and anywhere you buy books anywhere you can buy books yeah. you can buy it but more importantly um if you know someone that's getting a little uh going through something like this and a little hopeless buy them this book Send well here's what book. i think since i read the book i would say that this book would be great for someone either going through a medical <gasps> uh, crisis or a family member or a friend of someone going through a medical crisis because she kind of hits it from all angles from what it was like for her family, what it was like for her, where her friend showed up. I thought it was really helpful um, in that manner. And it was very insightful and, and she was very, she's very self-aware. It's a very good book. She's a very cool chick. We hung out with her in the podcast for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love Jim. Uh, I think he's he's without a doubt he's one of the best comics working, but he's a great dad and he's a great dude. Mm-hmm. And I I follow him on Instagram and and Jeannie and both of their all their kids, all twenty five of them are just <laughs> adorable. Wait, they have twenty five. No, they have five. They have five. Oh. Who has five kids, Isla, in New York City? Can you believe that? I have five kids. <laughs> Today's podcast. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Body Shots World Tour. Come find me on tour uh, this week. This next week, I'll be in uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, Chicago, and Fort Wayne. Starting off with Lexington, Kentucky, a club date. 150 seats, I think, are available. That's, I mean, in the room. <laughs> I think actually 247 is what the room seats. So get your tickets now. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Jeannie Gaffigan. Oh, the suspense. This is. Okay, we're we're rolling now. So anything okay. you don't want to talk about, don't share. Okay. I'm nervous don't. interviewing you. I'll tell you that right now. Why? Because I know that I know Jim's sense of humor, and I know that you uh, live with Jim. Yeah. So and I know that Jim's technically clean, and I'm, if Jim has told you anything about me, I'm not very clean. And I know you're Catholic, but I'm Catholic. But so that's why I have Leanne here to go. Bert, what the hell? But so. I'm not I know, but you're the, you guys have the same sensibility. I didn't say I was a good Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I already liked the fact that uh, here, yeah, give her a piece of paper. Sorry, I know. I just well, let's just pretend that never happened. No, uh, I already liked the fact that I started to apologize for the house, and as I started to apologize, I realized you live the exact same life we do, but with I think four, four, five more kids than we have. We have. Three more have, kids. They three have three more five. kids than we have. So I was like, yeah, and you have an outdoor space. So, like, imagine not having an outdoor space. I can't. So it's like I am like this is like amazing. So this what, is amazing. What's your what's what is what is your all's life like? I saw a video of your two youngest boys debating about sleep with Jim, that made my fucking heart swell. I was like, your youngest is trying to explain that. Okay. I'm not tired at the end of the night, but I'm tired in the mornings. But if we could just find a way for me to go to sleep when I got into the bed, that would really help. It was just fucking amazing. But I can't imagine all that many kids. What's an average day look like in your family? An average day? Um, well, I guess in terms of um, average, if we were going to say school days, yeah. like that's because otherwise it's just not average. Here, pull the mic a little closer. Okay, to your sorry. Face. Hold on. Okay. Better? Yeah. Is that better? We just want to keep it a fist length away from okay. your face. And you can get comfortable and pull And you can it move the you. mic around if you want. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we get up at six in the morning. I mean, when I say we, I mean not Jim. Yeah. Oh, it, my God. 
I know. I've read most of your book. I didn't get to finish it. We just got it Friday, late day Friday. Um, but I was like, we have, we are doppelgangers. I, we have the same exact lie, schedule. When you were saying your schedule in the book, I was like, this is exactly my schedule. We might have to do it like a tech support group. <laughs> there should be a, there should be a, a wife tech support group because I find so many similarities with, with lifestyles. I was talking to Fitzsimmons about it. And he was like, well, yeah, I'm a comic. I stay out until midnight. It's not like I'm out whoring and drinking. I'm just working. Going to work. Yeah. yeah. And it's and I know Jim is one of the few guys that at the level he's at, which you know I think everyone knows, but I will reiterate, which is huge theaters, multiple shows, nonstop movies, nonstop. Any, everyone wants a piece of Jim, and he's still at the clubs at night. He still goes out and does sets. And weekends, remember, are Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. Right. So you can't, it's not like everyone's like, how's your weekend? Yep. Yeah. It's like way busier than my Most, week. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just like nervous about having this on. Do I have to put it on air? Oh, it's on airplane. Okay, okay. I was smart. Okay. Sorry. I just was afraid I was going to start getting all this like <laughs> help messages. That tends to happen when I leave. Yeah. So you get, you get up early. Yes. So because I have kids at different schools, I don't know if you're, you have that as well. Yes, we do. So that's really complicated. Um, and and our schools are on different sides of the city just to make things fun. Um, but they're great schools, right? So you do that. Um, so we get up at six. We have to leave by seven. So even though it, that sounds like a lot of time, it's not with five kids. It's a, it's yeah. a mad dash. And it's a really uh, kind of challenging time because everyone is really tired in the morning. Breakfast? Do, like, you, do you make the same breakfast for everyone? Or does everyone well, fend for themselves? Since the, I mean, you have to understand, I kind of changed a lot about my parenting after this experience because yeah. I was doing everything or having like a babysitter or a nanny or somebody doing everything for the kids because it's a lot easier yeah. And it's a lot more efficient. But after I got removed from the situation, I kind of discovered that I was robbing them of their power by doing that. Wow. Um, so as everyone knows, if you have like a messy playroom, it's way easier to pick up all the Legos yourself and then to like have a conversation with the kids about picking up the Legos and they're going to leave some and they're going to mix them with the other toy, you know? Right. And so um, I kind of in the past had um, given this kind of uh, organization and, and keeping everything together and, and maintaining, like, even though we have five kids, we're still going to survive and have, you know, and have this, you know, relatively like clean house. And I put that kind of above really taking care of my kids in terms of taking care of them so that they will be able to take care of themselves someday. That's really Go ahead. Oh yes. What? No, that's Leanne's. Leanne is uh, the same way, and I don't. It didn't. She didn't have to go through. A f I mean, I want. I want to talk about. Obviously, why you're here is your book. I want to talk about that, but I want to. I want to. I kind of want to know who you are before that, because I don't think. Would you? I don't think this. From what it sounds like, Jim, this moment doesn't define you. Who you are throughout the experiences you had in here, I find really fascinating. And like I said, I'm a horrible reader, so I read bits and pieces. But when you got the news that you did have a tumor and you, the calmness that came over you, I kind of was like, okay, okay. Because I, I think everyone, including yourself, wonders what happens if something happens horribly to me? How will I react in that moment? 
So I wanted to know what kind of person you were before that, before we get to that moment. Okay. I'm curious about, like, where did you grow up? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Were you, were you when, did, when did you find, when did you find faith? I know you're a faithful person, but were you always that person? Drugs and alcohol. Uh, how'd you meet Jim? But, but within like five minutes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, um, okay, I'm going to abort mission on the average day and go to to a little history. Perfect. Okay, so um, essentially, I grew up as the eldest of nine children. Oh, my God. And I had a um, father who worked three jobs, and my mother was worked a million more jobs, but in the home, right? So I, I think that my mom was working all the time. And also, she was, like, nursing a baby and... Uh, being pregnant yeah. my whole life. So being the oldest. And so therefore, at a certain point when I hit you know, 13, I realized that if I wanted to have a clean pair of jeans to wear to school, I had to figure out a way to do it myself. It's interesting. Right. So I, there was not like any neglect going on, but it was like with that many kids you know, I know, I'm sure you had the big Catholic family that had like multiple kids. My, on- my mom's one of nine. My, I'm one of three, but but I do know what you're talking about. That kind of self sufficiency that a big family requires, puts, requires especially yeah. on the middle children. But it's, did you have, as the eldest, did you have expectations that you were held up to, like a standard? Did your father say, "This is my my diamond"? Did you, or did, no, were, you, were mean, you kind of left to your own devices? I, basically, I kind of took over. Really? Right? Yeah, I I, I kind of took over. I um and and in positive ways and in negative ways. So, um, like I said, I, because I was the oldest, I felt kind of entitled to what if my life was an only child and why do you keep having all these kids? Mm -hmm. So I looked at other families and I saw they had more stuff than we did, better cars, you know, and I was jealous of having like, so I, I thought having a lot of kids was like the stupidest thing in the whole world. That's I was like, why would anyone do that? Just by design, I don't think it ever dawned on me, but you you have to grow up well below middle class when you have nine kids because you, you just can't give everyone a brand new car. You can't buy brand new jeans for everyone at the beginning of every year. Everything's going to be a hand-me-down. Everything's yeah. always, wow, I never and, saw it that and way. And so... um you know, look, I'm, I'm going, to, this is going to become positive. But at the time, when I was like 13, I was like, wow, this really sucks to have this big family because I, I don't have what other people have. So I had to kind of carve my way through surviving like that era in middle school where everyone's like, what kind of shoes are you wearing? And that kind of stuff. And I didn't really have the stuff that other kids had. Wow. So I became very caught up in kind of appearances. This is very confessional what I'm telling you right now. Because the root of what happened to me as an adult. Um, I was still a good person, a good friend and everything like that. But now I see that my sense of cleaning and organizing and making lists and making sure that all my siblings looked good. And had, you know, I cut their hair. I did their laundry. I was very kind of um, tyrannical as the oldest. Yeah. And I think that there's probably still some, a little bit of like resentment, you know, from my brothers and sisters even now of the way that I was kind of like, you have to wear this to school. You have, I was, because my mom was very like free to be you and me. Like she was yeah. very like, it doesn't matter. 
people are more important than things. Pennsylvania? Um, Wisconsin. Oh, of course it's Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. And um, my mom is like this incredible person. She, uh, our lives were filled with storytelling and adventures. We'd go to the park and she'd make up all these characters and stories. This, she was absolutely this, this creative and very spiritual, very like God is, you know, the angels are here and, you know, just really um, grounded us in a very uh, uh, sense of a higher purpose. But my rebellious part was like, she's crazy. She doesn't, you know, understand that I have to like have the right haircut and the right clothes at school. Like those things do matter to me. And so I kind of became very focused on outward appearances. Now, meanwhile, my dad, who was not around as much because he was um, working all the time, is like a very secular intellectual type. Like he taught film. He was a journalist, a writer, um, you know, very, um, you know, a Catholic, but uh, not very Catholic, very secular, but Catholic, you know, went to mass with us, but was quiet about it. Yeah. Whereas my mom was like, oh, praise the Lord. Like she was yeah. very like, you know, really uh, out there with it. And um, so when I um, grew up, I found myself being like the um, little mother, but I was more of like a mommy dearest mother than my mom. You know, I was, well, that's, with that's a, really with, fascinating. But, but, you know, through the uh, instrument of a 13 year old kid. Right. right. So yeah. it's something know, you could control probably. Yes. When things felt out of control. And if you felt this lack for appearances, that's something you could control. Right. So that's look. what that's what exactly what I'm getting at right. is that I in order for me to feel in control of my life, right. I needed things to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. My my house had to be clean and then it turned into my apartment had to be clean. And then I, you know, wound up having five kids and I was like, but we're still going to get like white furniture. So <laughs> I would just like, kind of torture myself into like maintaining this kind of perfection, uh, perfectionist ways. And what happened um, when I left working outside of the home, I was producing, I was executive producing our TV show. Yeah. And um, I looked at season three and I looked at the fact that my oldest daughter was about to turn 13 and she was changing. And all of a sudden, like she was becoming a young woman. And I felt like I'm going to miss this because I can't believe that means I have her for like four more years in the house. Like she was going, well, it was I just feel like that right now. It's like at that cusp where the, that little kid time seems like it takes forever. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, wearing your clothes and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. And so I told Jim, you know, if you're going to do season three, you're going to need another showrunner because I can't, I can't do this. It's too, I've, I've missed too many recitals. Like May is like, Everyone's performing, and I have you got two five birthdays. Recitals. You got five recitals. Yeah, <laughs> and I I was in situations before where I couldn't leave the set, and I would book like shoots around like a, a extended lunch with a move with like a camera move, so it would be a long break, and I would try to go to like the the middle school con spring concert, and then I would get stuck in traffic on the FDR in New York. And then I would miss the concert and I would not, and miss the shooting. And I was just like really torn up inside. So stressful. Very stressful. So 
Um, ultimately, Jim decided that he didn't want, since the show was loosely based on our life in New York with five kids and kind of a, you know, this being like this Catholic family, but with all these diverse friends and, you know, it was a very, uh, to me, it was like a, a labor of love. That show was the most like creatively fulfilling thing I've ever done as a, and I, I, I write for Jim, I produce for Jim, I direct his things. I do a lot of stuff, which is amazing. But in the show, it was like a character named Jeannie Gaffigan, my perspective. Like a, it was a much more of an equal partnership than yeah. me like being like, you know, Jim, you know, if you had a good tag you could use and then maybe nine out of 10 he uses it. So I do write with Jim, but he is Jim. You yeah. know, he, I have, I say a PhD in Jim Gaffigan. I understand his point of view and I can write for him, but it's hard to get in there. I mean, it's like, I'm sure that you have a lot of say in do this, don't do that. But at a certain point, it's like the, it's the stand-up show. comedian, it's yeah. his show. Yeah, totally. So I can help and I can do all the bells and whistles and the, uh, you know, what, you know, I can be in the edit for the specials and I can, you know, choose what the backdrop is and what theater it's going to be at and have a lot of input on it. But it's it's his voice, yeah. his point of view. And I completely honor and respect that. But- when we did the TV show, it was like about the kids, about the family. She had stories. He had stories. She had friends. He had friends. And it was a real uh, wonderful uh, partnership that we had on that show. So for me to walk away from it for family was a very uh, big step. But it was also like obviously the right thing to do. 100%. Yeah. And, and also at the same time, you know, I had kids that were in uh, nursery and pre-K and I remember having a call from a pre-K teacher being like, you know, um, Michael is, you know, was picking out colors today and we don't, we want to get him evaluated for dyslexia. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm trying to find out if I can get this prison lit. Like I couldn't do both. And then I would hang up and be like, did you just say dyslexia? Yeah. And, you know, at age three, I mean, what? And I, and I was like, I was like, I can't. And I, I know that's a really like kind of anti-feminist thing to say, but for me, showrunner and five kids, it was like, I, I was like, I, I'm doing this right now. Everyone's alive. Everyone's thriving. Show's good. But I can't envision maintaining this. Yeah. So we made a decision. We called the network and we were like, you know, we, we have to talk. We have this, we have to, think about our family and, and, and moving uh, out of this situation, which was really difficult. But then immediately, like the next special started and whatever, there was still like a lot of work going on. So I moved uh, our office to our, our, our home. So it's like kind of like how you have this set up. It's not yeah. in the home, but it's like, you know, imagine on the same floor of our apartment building, there's another apartment, a studio that has a door that goes into our apartment. Uh, so it's like- great. An, an exit to the outside. Right. Oh, wow. um, I mean, still, there's going to be, there, if we were doing this at my house, there'd be kids running through. Right, they'd, right. they'd burst in unless we locked the door. Like, they know <laughs> they just gravitate to where, you know. Mine just want stand them. out there and look at me with these eyes like, you're letting my childhood go by. Are you really, um, t- really going to talk to Nate Bargatze while I sit here and by myself? And you're like, Hey, I got to wrap the podcast up. My daughters are standing outside staring at me. You still have a window, right? Yeah. So you can just feel like at least they can see that you're in there. (laughs) We have like the door, right? Yeah. But um, so anyway, 
how this relates back to the sense of control and all this stuff. So I'm like, I am going to be the perfect mother. I'm going to take. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he's going to be on top of you about the microphone. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Okay. I'm, I was like, I'm going to take them to school every day. I'm going to join both uh, PTAs. Um, I'm going to still produce the shows at home. I'm going to have a clean house, right? I'm going to cook. I'm going to, you know, bake. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, this happened. And, so right when yeah. you decide to, to, to pump the brakes and allow yourself to be the mom where, where you're involved with everything, that's when this happened? About six months later. So we had hiatus during the summer. Usually doing the show, it would be a lot of marketing meetings, a lot of um, post stuff, but everything would be in the can. And then we'd start this, the writing season in the fall. So the summer that we said we're not doing season three, the fall started and we started doing other things other than the show, like, you know, doing a special, um, doing a tour. Probably another book, I'm assuming. Um, the, no, Food A Love Story was the last book that we did. Okay. And um, Jim did a show in London over uh, Christmas break, and we all went. And on the plane ride home, um, I put the noise-canceling headphones on, and I thought one of the headphones was broken. So I, I, turned, I had, was having problems hearing the movie. And I went to go help a kid and I came back and the headphones had gotten twisted the other way. So I put them on and then I realized it wasn't the headphones because both of them, it was my ear. So it's like, I literally couldn't hear out of my ear. Like I, I just snapped my finger so anyone can uh, hear that weird noise. That's what happened. And I was snapping my fingers next to my ear. I'm like, that's weird. You know? Now, but, are you set up to be a hypochondriac? No. I, so, so you're someone who just immediately goes, probably an ear infection. Probably the air I was like, I probably stood too close to the speaker at the Chili Peppers concert in 2000. You know, I just yeah. did. I just compartmentalized everything. I was like, well, I guess, you know, it's like, you know, you're going to need reading glasses. You're going to need hearing aid. Like stuff starts to go. Like I just explained everything away. And also you're too busy, right? Because you're too busy. Yeah. And also what you have to understand about me is that and I'm not going to put this on every busy mom, but. Let's just pretend that it could apply to other people that I've seen. Um, in my world, maybe when I was single, if I had a, you know, something, I'd be like, oh, I have to go to the doctor. I might have a kidney infection because I had like a pain in my back. Yeah. But when you have a bunch of little ones to juggle and it's like you just don't really go for yourself. Like it's hard, you know, you don't really be like, I'm having spa day. Or I'm going to the doctor just to randomly, I feel weird. You're like, I'll get over it. Yeah. You know, mom is sick, but you don't get to stay in bed all day. You just push through because you have to. Because you, you have to. You have to, yeah. So on the um, one of the final episodes of the show that we shot, I'm just going back in time for a minute just to give you some context of who I am. I sprained my foot and we had like 52 scenes to shoot and I was directing and there is also something like being a female director and having all the kids and all the stuff. You feel like you have to prove yourself extra hard. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to, you know, tell anyone about my foot. 
But at a certain point, it was like, why is Jeannie hopping? Like I was there, you know, beach, we had a stairs, we had, were, like it was on location. Yeah, like this, none of this, this was just to perspective, this was a single camera shoot. Everything was. so, And there were a lot of locations all throughout New York and out of New York. So yes. it was, yeah, it was, I, I watched it's the like show. a film shoot, right? Yeah, it was yeah. like a film. Yeah. And this, sh this particular episode, there was, I think, one uh, scene that we shot in this in this episode that was in the studio in the apartment in the in the um, studio in New York, which was Jim reading a story to the kids in bed. But the story was his childhood, so it was a period episode that took place in the seventies. I saw this everything. episode, and it was we shot it out in Long Island. It's supposed to be like you know Illinois in the seventies. Yeah, so it was very uh, complex shooting. And then there was a whole series at the end with like flashbacks back to the beginning of time, mm -hmm. which required a lot more locations. And this was my uh, kind of pinnacle. I was directing it. I had been prepping while I'd been doing the other, the whole season. And I wanted it to succeed because you only have 22 minutes to tell like a big story. Yeah. So, and I was, I was very passionate about this episode because it was about, you know, Jim's childhood and he played his father in it. And my son, Jack played young Jim. They look alike. Yes. They look, I think, did Jim just post a picture of the two of them? That's Patrick. That's Patrick. That's Patrick. They look like fucking twins. I know. I know. Holy shit. It's crazy. So, and then Jim, we, he looks like we put a fat pad in him and did white hair and the glasses. And he looked exactly like the pictures of his father who passed away before I even met Jim. Yeah. So there were people in his family being like, it was like back from the dead. Crazy. So it was a really cool thing where I had all these objects from his childhood in little Easter eggs. And, the, and it was like spraying my foot was just not an option. So I got an assistant to go get some crutches from the props. I didn't go to the doctor. Yeah. So, just to put this in context, had I not left the show, I never would have gone to the doctor about the hearing loss. Right. And you just went, would have been pushed through. Pushed yeah. through. So about a month later, I was at a well child visit at my pediatrician's office and she was talking to me and I turned my head and she said, what was wrong with your ear? And I said, oh, I just can't hear out of it. And she's like, how long has that been happening? And I'm like, well, I just figured, you know, the eyes go, the ears go. She was like, no, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> and I just felt like an idiot. And she was like, you have to take care of yourself because you're going to be no good to anybody. Right. And she's like, right, writes me a referral. And it's like, you know, I was just like, you know, I kind of ignored it because I didn't really need it that much. I mean, it, it was like I was turning my head this no, the way. The eyes go, the ears go. Yeah. It just you have diabetes. Oh, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> so I went to an ENT. They couldn't find anything wrong with my ear. Put me on on a steroid. What went away for a month? Did some, you know, Flonase and whatever they said to do. Came back, followed up, which is huge because if I was doing the show, I never would have had appointment times. Mm -hmm. And you know, the ENT was like, sometimes there's something in there, like on your audio audial nerve, oral neuroma or something it's yeah. called, that kind of block. I can't see it, but we need an MRI. So I'm like, oh, another day, another dollar, another MRI. So eventually I go get the MRI and it was immediately clear that something was extremely wrong because the I was at a radiology center and the radiologist 
was like, oh, rule out MRI for hearing loss, whatever, and put me in the tube. And when I came out, he was like looking at a ghost and they can't say anything. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. what? And he's like, you know, your doctor will call you. That, can I tell you, I one time had like a chest infection and they did a chest x-ray of me. Do you remember this? Yes. And I said to the guy, you know, how's it look? And he goes, I can't tell you anything. And he's like, what? And he's like, your doctor will call you. And I had such a panic attack that I convinced myself I had lung cancer and I melted down so bad. And, and then they just called. They never even returned. I was, by the way, I was, I was supposed to take the x-rays to the doctor and, and I just left. So it took like three weeks for them to call me. For three weeks, I thought I was fucking dying. But that, but that, that moment, I, you know, I do that even now. Like, have you ever had a throat scope? No. Throat scope, they've got a camera on the thing that goes down your throat. It is the most terrifying thing because if they're going to see cancer, you're going to see it in their eyes because they're staring at you. And I was just, and I, I said to the lady, so if you see something like cancer, like, are you prepared for what look you're going to give off? And she was like, I don't. I don't know what you're saying. And I was like, have you just been giving looks of terror in people's faces? Like, oh, this is fucking bad. So you witnessed that. And that is one of my biggest fears. To not do that. But it was, that's why I was so freaked out because it was obvious that a guy was trying to hide something. And it's like, I'm sure he had a medical poker face normally, but, and then I, then of course I was like, I'm being paranoid. But I went out to the waiting room and they're like, you know, your doctor will call you. And then I'm like, but, and then I'm sitting there because you just do what they say. And I'm sitting there for like 20 minutes and I'm like, what do you mean my doctor will call me? Like he told me that he was going to follow up with me in two weeks. And now they're saying the doctor will call me. So I went up to the lady at the uh, reception. I'm like, my doctor's not here. This is a random radiology center. He's in Midtown. Like what, what, who said that he was supposed to call me? And I got really argumentative because I'm just like, why would they tell me to stay here? Who's going to come here? So I called Jim and he didn't even know I was getting an MRI. Like that's how busy we were. And I'm just like, yeah, I just got an MRI and they won't let me leave. And he's like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, do you want me to come there? I'm like, no, I'm leaving because they're not telling me why I'm here. Oh my There's God. no I'm doctor fucking here. Pay- the only reason I can do this podcast right now is because you're here, obviously, obviously because you're here. But like the, th- the, the, only, the thing I keep hanging my hat on is you're alive. Like, yeah, all, so it's a happy ending. Yeah, this is, but like, I keep going. You did, you are going through all the things that keep me up at night, and you're still here. So, like, that's the thing I keep hanging my hat on. And you know, actually, when just jumping ahead a little bit, when I did find out something was wrong with me, all I wanted to do was talk to someone like me. That's all I wanted to do. I'm like, right. does anyone, is anyone walking around that had, did anyone, could anyone, can I read a book? <laughs> but the, I mean, I really feel could like. I read a book, yeah. I was like, could someone like write a book about what, how I'm, you know, how what they, I don't care if I do a different path, but. A survivor's guide, sort of. Yeah, or like, this is how I did it. Right. Yeah. You know, or I'm, and I'm, I'm cognizant enough to write a book after yeah. I had a brain tumor. So now at this point in the story, there's no tumor. You know, I have no idea what's going on. So I leave and I go back and I told Jim and Jim, we were, you know, ironically, we were trying to make a documentary about making a comedy special with no material because we had just wrapped a special in, let's say, December. Then we went on tour and got and did some of this material in London and then made up some stuff about London. And 
Jim was like, I got 15 new minutes. And then he's like, we're going to, we're going to book a theater for the next special. And I was like, no, no, we can't do that. We have no material. And he's like, that's going to be our quest is we're going to write, we're going to book it with no material. And then we're going to write the material like this. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is where we were at. So I come back from the doctor. I'm like, they're filming a documentary about, well, this is some of the ways that we're going to try to come up with the material. Like it was, it was a great idea for a documentary. So, but at this point I'm like, you guys, you know, we had our assistant Sky at the time was in our office. And I was just like, there's something wrong with me. And I'm never the one to say that, but I feel really bad about what just happened. And Jim was kind of like, I'm sure it's nothing. Now, later he told me he was also afraid, but what happens in a couple is when one of you is losing it, the yeah, other one's yeah. got to hold it together. Yes, yeah, true. It's like, I call it good cop, hysterical cop. Oh, we right. call it, we call it. Uh, Bert and Leanne. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I've never once held it together. <laughs> but if Leanne lost it. Oh, I'd, we'd, I'd hire someone to hold it together. You'd hire someone to hold it together. <laughs> I've, okay, I, but, I can't, I'm not, yeah, I'm not. Normally, if she ever does lose it, it you would, some instinct would kick in. <laughs> I pray to God. That there's an instinct that I have not seen in It's a couple survival instinct. Okay, well, I pray to God it doesn't happen to you, but I mark my words, you're going to find your inner calm in that moment if I she falls apart. Or I, I can from your see, mouth to God's ears, lady. We'll see. I don't see it happening right no, now, but no, if no. it does. I told someone the other day, I threw up in the sink and Leanne cleaned the vomit out of the sink for me. I was sick. And they said, wow, what if Leanne threw up in the sink? I go, then she would have to clean her vomit out of the sink. <laughs> For her, because I just can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, I can totally relate to that story. I'm like, I'm, I am a. Hmm. So you, so you tell Jim something's wrong, and he says it's not. You know, he doesn't say don't be paranoid, but he's like, I'm sure it's gonna be okay. But there's no use in fretting about it until the doctor calls you. Right. Mm-hmm. So we start working on this uh, scene. Then I'm like, doctor's calling. So I answer the phone. It's the ENT. And he goes, hi, I'm looking at your report here. I just want to let you know that you have a large mass in your brain. And I'm like, what? That that matter of fact, they say it? Yeah, I mean, they have to. What are they going to do? Be like, you have a mass in your brain. You know, they have they to. They don't say like, something like, are you sitting down? Or- <laughs> nope. Just- Even though that's how I opened with my parents. Really? I was like, because I was like literally afraid that my parents were going to faint when yeah. I told them I had a brain tumor. Because I thought, what if my kid like yeah. that was a really weird thing telling my parents because being a parent, like I would much rather be sick than have one of my kids sick. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. It's, it's the reason I can snorkel with my kids. If I'm snorkeling by myself, I'm afraid of sharks. But if I'm snorkeling with my kids, I know very well if a shark shows up, I have one mission and that is to get attacked while my kids get in the boat. And I, for some reason that relaxes me knowing my, knowing that I'm comfortable defending them from sharks. I, I don't know why, but but I know what you mean. Yeah. So the doctor is like, you have a mask growing in your brain. And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, all I can say was, okay, well, well. And so um, he said, and it's out of my wheelhouse now. So I'm going to give you some neurosurgeons to call. And he said, normally, you know, a neurologist would send you to a neurosurgeon, but I can tell that you'd probably need to speak to a neurosurgeon because, uh, you know, you don't need a neurologist because the neurologist would just send you to a neurosurgeon. So I was like, okay. 
And then he said, um, you know, I um, want you to know that a lot of times they just watch these things and people live with them. And I didn't, I relaxed a little bit. I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. And he said, but, um, you know, I can't <laughs> that is really not go. Your case. This is fucking <laughs> no, he's big. Like, I can't say, I yeah. can't say yeah. what they're going to tell you. He's, so he's trying to, he's right now saying I, I'm serving shit sandwiches, but I've served them before and people, I don't mind them. I don't know if you're going to mind them, but like, he's just trying to like soften, soften it. Yes. it. Yeah. And then, so I said, okay, I know you can't, uh, tell me what's going to happen, but that's like why I'm waiting for the call. Like, so I'm like, what would you imagine that the neurosurgeon is going to do or tell me to do? And he said, well, I would imagine that they would probably resect it or a part of it. And I said, what does resect mean? And he said, remove. And I said, um, but it's inside my brain is what you're saying. And he's like, yeah. So at that moment, I was like, okay, I, I'm going to have to have brain surgery. Now that was, you know, it wasn't an immediate connection because also sometimes you think there's something in your body and they can't get it out. Right. Like, yeah. How do you get into my brain? Right. But also like you kind of do want it out. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of positive because like action. So I'm just like, okay, so I needed some kind of plan to like, not just be like, well, I got a mask in your brain. See ya. So. I called these and, and I then I also repeated everything he said. I was like, so what you're saying is I have a mass in my brain because Jim's there and he's not on speakerphone. So and Jim just just I mean, he is whiter than he is. Yeah, <laughs> turned translucent. And so I hung up and I said, OK, here's the thing. We have to go back to the radiology center and get the scans do we have to buy them because they, they have them there and they can give you a copy for like 20 bucks or something. And then we have to take them to a neurosurgeon and I need to call and make an appointment. So I, Jim's like, do you want me to call and make an appointment? Yes, Jim. So uh, th by the way, right now I'm going, I'm putting all of this as most listeners are, I'm imagining in their own relationship. And already I go, Leanne, I need you to take care of this. The whole time you're doing yeah. this, I'm like, Leanne, you're going to get me a, I can't, I'm, I'm going to go lay down. But he knew that I would want to call. That you're, he, is that, that's who he's you like, are. He's like, do you want to call? Like he wanted to call, but he was like, would you like to be the one to call to make the appointments? Because he knows me. I, I make all the appointments. Yeah. Um, I mean, he takes care of his stuff, but I do the whole running the whole thing. Right. So, I mean, I don't even pack him. He packs himself. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say that I like pack Jim yeah, and yeah, like yeah, do, yeah. Like, wait, he is like, I've maintained it so he can live a bachelor's life a little bit, you know? Uh, that uh, most of you, most of comics wives have in a fun kind of crazy. And I think that's how we relate to each other. Like, I immediately get along with every comedian's wife that I meet because it's like, we're like, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Me too. You're like sister wives. Uh, hashtag me too. Sister wives. But with yeah. like three O's. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, compete with the other movement. So um, anyway, um, so I call, we, we get the brain scans. We can't open them. We call the neuro neurosurgeons. Oh, you, you, yeah, yeah, I'd wanna, it, I'd it, they're like that. medical. So we yeah. try, we found the, first of all, there's no more disk drives and computers, by the way, which you forget about until yeah. you need one. So then I have an external disk drive. Doesn't, it's just numbers. I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I want to see it. You wanted to see it. 
And so I called the um, neurosurgeons hoping I could just show up right away and whatever. So they were like, you know, it was like, I don't know, April 15th or something. And they're like, okay, we have an opening May 16th. And I I was like, and they were like, are you a new patient? I'm like, yeah, I just called you and said that I just have a mess in my brain. I have no idea what's going on. I need to see you tomorrow, guys. So then I take the appointment and then I call the other guy. It's the same office, same receptionist. I'm like, does the other guy have an earlier appointment? And they had like May 8th. So I said, can I come in and see my scan? And they said, well, first of all, you can bring your scan to the appointment in May. And also we need to see your report before I can make the appointment. I mean, it was so crazy. So I was like, okay. So then I'm like, Jim, I have, I can't just like wait for three weeks to find out what. So, uh, but I don't have a neurologist or neurosurgeon, but my best friend from childhood grew up to be a neurologist. So I texted him. And he had helped me before because my dad had a stroke and he helped in the hospital mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. He's a neuro- neurologist in Milwaukee. So I texted him. And I'm like, hey, John, um, what's up? Anyway, I have a mass in my brain. Need your help to help figure out what it is. So he's like, send me the scan. So I, so Jim runs to FedEx, sends John, the, overnights him the scan. So then we just kind of, you know, have to like, keep it a secret because we're like we don't know if it's small if it's big the guy said you can live with it like what they said three months i'm like they didn't see the scan but they saw the report so the next morning i drop off the kids at school i'm you know feeling pretty good i want to talk to john so john calls me i'm figuring he's telling me he got the fedex well he had gotten it you know early went to the hospital and he was like gee this isn't good he texts me a picture of the inside of my skull with what appears to be a pear. It looks like a pear. Do you have a picture in the book? Yeah, it's yeah. in the book. I, I, that's one of the things. Yeah, I it's love right about at the top. Is that, and then I didn't put pictures in my book, but you put pictures. Some of them are not placed where I put them in the manuscript. So it says it looks like this. It's chapter one. I mean, it's hard to do the design lineup. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's like a, the intro chapter, so not the introduction, but there's a there's a prelude called the pear which kind of starts at the top of the story. And um, it has a photograph of... In the pair? It has the, the picture of what okay. the... Okay, where am there's, I? There's a couple... Here. I don't know, I? there's there's two... Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a side angle. And then there's one from the back later on in the book. You can really tell that it looks like a pair. Is that... That's yeah. it? That's at the... Oh, so it's not inside your brain. It's on the bottom of your brain? It's in my brain stem. And it's inside my brain on the stem. So the brain stem, it's inside the brain. I like the other picture of it. Like, you could really see it. That's later. Um, let's see. That is like chapter. Um, okay, great. So um, so anyway, I see that. That one you're looking for is the one I saw. That other one is really better in color because they blew up the tumor in that toxic green that I put on my cover. I colored the pears that color. Yeah. That was the color of the multicolored um, MRI. Jesus. Yeah. I know. I was like, did you get the MRI or did I? He was sleeping. So your best friend from high school. Yes. So he said, go to the OR. OR is. Uh, No. First, he said, you need to get in the OR, What's meaning original oper- room? operating room. Oh, the OR. He said, I... <laughs> Did you hear me? I was like, at the comedy store? You want to go to the original room? 
Yes, and do a set and do then set, go to the hospital. And then go to the hospital so for the OR. Essentially, he was like, I am a neurologist. I would have you in the OR. And I said, I don't have a doctor yet. I had to meet them and interview them and all this stuff. He goes, we don't have time for that. So I, he's like, you need a plan. And I'm like, I don't have a plan. He was like, I go, give me a plan. He goes, okay, this is what I would do. Find the best neurosurgery department in New York City. Take your scan and go to the ER and with your scan and say, I have a brain tumor. I'm feeling, you know, all the symptoms. I need to speak to a neurosurgeon immediately. And they're going to get you upstairs because they're not going to be able to deal with you in the ER. They can't turn you away. That's what I would do. Yeah, and you're blocking her camera. So I find, oh, I'm on camera. I don't have any makeup on. That's okay. Okay. So, um... Essentially, here I was like pantomiming like I wasn't on camera. Um, when I did this, I explained Yeah, I know. It, uh, I was like, I was like, you do see the camera, right? No, I didn't see the camera. Okay. Um, but I have a good excuse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that's in the brain, though. It's not like outside that's the brain. Up, up, it's up in your brain. Yeah, that's all up in there, as they say. It's all up in my all brain. All up in there. That's so, uh, yeah. So that's what I did. I got in a cab with Jim and I went to the... Um, what page is it on? Tell everybody the page. Page 83. Page 83 is what I saw that got me in the cab. And I felt like it was like... He was like, that area should not be blocked. That area is open for nerve signals and that thing is blocking it. And like... Now, he had was, you noticed anything other than your hearing loss? Well, once the, once I did the interview from neurosurgery and filled out all the forms and had the interview and stood on one foot and did that, it was like a DWI. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I got all this. And I things. was like, oh, who's doing that? Those things, unless they're getting pulled over for drinking. Yeah, I'm right. like, I'm not like, I'm not staying on one foot. Like, when do I do that? Yeah. Oh, I have allergy headaches. I have migraines. You know, I have, but it's not migraines. It's I have a freaking brain tumor. You know, it's like I was compartmentalizing all the symptoms of a brain tumor because I was afraid to get sick. So this is a lesson that I learned. It's a this- huge lesson for everybody, especially moms. To to you, you pack yourself so full every day that you don't give yourself space to pay attention to yeah. anything other than what's next on the list. So telling this story, I know I sound like a complete idiot that I didn't care that I had hearing loss or headaches, or, but it was compartmentalized. So it seemed like these little tiny annoyances. Yeah. And also not even the most paranoid hypochondriac, which you've basically admitted to being, I am. would imagine that uh, hearing loss immediately was a brain tumor. He might. He might. I, I think I'd astound you with my hypochondria. Okay. I have, I have convinced myself of everything at one point. I wouldn't. If I had hearing loss, I would think I had some kind of like rampant ear infection. That's what I would think. I mean, do you go to the doctor though? Or yeah. you just yeah. like get months. paranoid? Every yeah. nine months. Well, nine months, it's not that often. No, but the chatter that happens at home yeah. is definitely. Do you go on WebMD? No. The same reason I don't go on Tinder. I don't go on anything that, that like. Tinder's a bad example, but like when WebMD is for okay. me is like I, I had one run in with uh with a medical journal when I was twenty five and it spun me into a yeah. spiral I never want to get to. Again. I was gonna say don't never because 
We don't. I, I don't even look at the ads underneath articles where they're like, are your hands itchy? Yeah. You're having a stroke. Like, I don't even look at the pre-bi-diabetic, uh, heart, congested no, heart failure. When, we were get, when he and I first started dating, he didn't have a doctor. And I was like, I think my doctor's perfect for you because she doesn't overreact to anything ever. Everything is like, most likely you're fine. And I was like, that's the doctor for you. Because anybody who was like, well, we should come in and check it out. Then he spends the next 48 hours waiting for the appointment coming completely unraveled. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm coming unraveled a tad bit in this podcast. Like, I'm like... <laughs> I apologize. I, no, but look, I'm alive. But I keep, I'm I doing keep saying great. you're alive, so I'm like, you look amazing. Yeah, Thank you look you. fantastic. So, so okay. So you go in to the EOR. You say no. You go in. The I, no, ER. I, I'm you on the, the way. ER. To, he told me I had to get into an OR, and I said, "How do I get in the OR?" He goes through the ER because you're not. If you don't have a doctor, you're going to need a doctor. So you Google best neurosurgeon in New York neurosurgery department and it was Mount Sinai Hospital really far away from where we live but okay. I was like we're going there so then you this is all in the day and you just get in a cab this is actually the next day because if you recall I had to wait overnight for the yeah for the my friend who loves me who yeah. grew up with me who was like not I'm not a number I'm not a new patient I'm not yeah. a, he was like I'll be honest with you. You you can't wait on. You can't sit on this. So so then you get in the cab with Jim. I get in the cab with Jim, and because I'm a rule follower and an organized person, like to a fault, I start covering the kids' pickups. I start calling, and I was like, "Who else do I have to call?" And I called the ENT, and I said, "Could you cancel the appointments with the?" I mean, here I'm thinking about canceling appointments. Yeah. But also, it was oh like God. I'm not going to those guys no. in May. No, I'm already taking care of this myself. And so his assistant was like, I, I don't think you should go to the ER, you know, because like, I'm fucking to, losing my shit right now. Why would you go to an ER for a brain tumor? And I said, because I have a plan. That's why. So then the doctor calls me and he's like, listen, you don't need to go to the ER. I have friends at Mount Sinai. I'm a colleague. I'm going to call her. I'm going to get you in there. But it might be tomorrow or the next day. And I said, well, I'm, st I'm still I'm going on my plan. I'm in a cab. I'll still take that appointment. But right now I'm going to the ER. So he calls someone who's in Florida, who calls someone that, like, who's on vacation, who calls someone in neurosurgery. Moments later, my phone rings. I'm in the cab. Now, remember, I live downtown Manhattan. This is way up on 100 and whatever. And, uh, you know, the FDR. Side, right? East side, east side yeah. yeah. So, and fifth, actually. And it's, hi, this is Leslie Schlachter from the uh, neurosurgery department at Mount Sinai. I hear that uh, you might need to see someone here. And I said, yes, I would love that. I've been actually expecting your call. I was like, I was in an office. I was very calm. Yeah. Like, I started to get very calm about this plan. I'm getting very antsy right Listen, now. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm like I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like it's a thriller. And you're in the cab going, I'm on my way. Oh, uh, we're gonna like. I'm like, no one can call fast enough right now. And it was also a little bit of a mystery too, right? It was a mystery and a thriller for me right then because I really didn't know. I mean, I knew it was a tumor, but I didn't know if it was cancer. I didn't know if it, you know if I was gonna sneeze and have an aneurysm. I had no idea what was going on. So it was a thriller, <laughs> and it was it was very thrilling, but in a bad way. But then all of a sudden, this person calls me. And I got this sense of like complete calmness because I mean, someone called me and I had been calling everyone. And she said, well, where do you live? And I said, I live downtown, but I'm about three blocks away from Mount Sinai right now. And she said, great, coming up to eight West. 
because Dr. Joshua Betterson is delayed in his surgery, doesn't see patients, new patients, but he's like the top guy. So he could probably push you in the right direction. All right, I'm going to ask you a question right now. You don't have to be honest. I'm, gonna, I'm basically asking you a question to tell you what kind of person I am. Did you at all say I no. am Jim Gaffigan's nope. wife? Do you realize how quickly I would be throwing around? It's the machine calling. It's Burt Kreischer. I have a Netflix special they, shooting another one I in November. I knew you were going to ask me that because I, I was fucking, treated like a VIP and I was not. They didn't I'd know be my like, name. I know Jim That's Gaffigan. Amazing. I know Jeannie Gaffigan. She had a tumor. And call Jeannie. Call Jeannie. She'll, she'll back me up. I feel that's a really important part of the story because I didn't get any preferential treatment. And it was like, that's why I say it was faith and miracles because I don't, if it was because I was going, oh, listen, I don't want to be with the riffraff. They would be a different story. It was like literally, they. I was person X. This is me on the phone. This is a rich person's brain tumor, guys. This is not riffraff brain tumors. Yeah, I would. I, you know, I think I I'm I'm like I've never been more invested in um like in like a moment where I f and I know you lived it, but I just am like so I feel like I've placed myself. Do you remember that movie with George Clooney and Julia Roberts, One Fine Day? Never seen it. No, I never saw it. Never mind. I guess I didn't either. I was the only chick <laughs> in this room. All right, keep going. So she okay. goes. So so I'm like great. See you in a few minutes. And I walk in like I wouldn't I wait. You'd wait longer at like a, a clinic for a blood test for a flu shot at, at, at Walgreens. I walked in to the top guy's office. They had I had no they didn't see if I had insurance. They didn't know my name because he had only a few minutes and some friend of a friend of a friend because my uh, ENT got invested in the story because I was going to an ER with a brain tumor and he thought I was insane and he thought some like sleep deprived intern was going to cut my head open with a rusty butter knife. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was Welch into this office with this big mahogany desk, like the, the head of the surgery department. He pops in my scan. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, this is what I would do. You're like, fucking do it. I got nothing, but I, I, I canceled all my, the kids are getting picked up by my aunt. Do it. Let's get it done. <laughs> yeah. And that was Jim. That by the way, Jim. I'm like fucking. That was Jim. So he said, this is what I would do. I would have you in here all day for scanning tomorrow. We'd take multiple pictures of your brain. I'd get you on the schedule for Monday. Because I guess they don't do surgery on weekends. I don't know. And, um, and then we're going to create a virtual reality uh, like vision of your brain. So I can. Like, it's all new technology. Like, two years ago, this would not, like, I would not be standing here. Or if I was, I'd be in a, you know, I mean, when when you learn, like, in the book, like, what your cranial nerves do, it's basically, like, everything. Like, you know that part, you have a brain and you have a body, and then you have a connection between the two? That's your brainstem. Right. That's where the tumor was. Yeah. So, basically, I was like, am I going to live and he's like, I think you're going to live. But he was like, I want to tell you what I'm concerned about. Your facial nerve is right in the middle of this. Your breathing and swallowing, your uh, movement. Like it was a lot of complications could come about. So, but he's like, I think you're going to live. And I was like, that's all I need to know. I don't care if I'm paralyzed face. I mean, I could be a head in a jar. 
if I can raise my kids. Like that's what I was just like, if I can be alive, I mean, my face, whatever, I already have a husband, you know, it's not like I'm, Yeah. I don't need to like go out and pick people up. I'll be the mom with the paralyzed face, you know? Right. There's one in every community. No, seriously, you cannot spook my mom. Try. <laughs> right. I know. How's your mom feeling today? Happy, sad? Yeah. Um. So uh, that's like really horrible. Cause, But then again, if I had the paralyzed face, I'd be making the same joke because yeah. that's right. the way yeah. we coped. Yeah. Yeah. So um. anyway, so that's what happened. And I had a, a amazing weekend with my family. I didn't make a will. It was Easter weekend, right? It was Easter weekend. Yeah. You didn't think, you, didn't, you just were like, I was like, carpe diem. This is out, this is out of my, oh, this is out of my control. Yeah, I was Monday like, all right, God. It, you know? And uh, the funny thing was also when um, I was leaving, Leslie said, I understand if this is a very serious, if you want to get a second opinion. And I was like, nope. I'm like, what are the odds? Because I call it, the parting of the Red Sea is was literally like I was in my house in limbo with no plan. And then the, the, the sea parted and I walked into the head of the department who doesn't see new patients. Like he's referred like he's the guy if like the cop gets shot in the brain. He's the guy who gets the bullet out. You know, he's like they call he's the top guy. He later, 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 later learned that, you know, we, you know, are, you know, Jim's a really famous like, comedian. I would have charged double if I had known who I was cutting. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, we're going to do all the fundraisers and all that stuff, too. Uh, but I mean, yeah. we're like, gladly, gladly, let's just save some lives. So you have a great weekend with your family. Do you tell the kids? Um, yeah, we uh, we tell the kids on Sunday. And your kids at that time are ages 13? Almost 13. Almost 13. 11, um, 7, 5, and 6. So, I mean, you know, it's like I have a, a switch in May where my two girls have birthdays in May. So I have a cusp uh, 8-year-old and a cusp 13-year-old. Mm -hmm. They're just a little bit before their birthday. And I had the two oldest first. We told them exactly what was going on. We said I wasn't going to die, but I was going to be in the hospital for a little while. With the little ones, we made it more like, you know how when you have bad tonsils and you have to go to the, it was like much more like that. And my, Something they could handle. Yeah. yeah so they could process. And, sure. and, you know, Patrick was like, are you going to get a toy out of the treasure chest? <laughs> you know? How cute. And it, somehow that made him feel better about yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Because I, you know, my Michael is like, you have to hold him down to get a shot. He's terrified of needles. And, you know, he was like, do you think you might get Michael's a shot? Michael's the, Jack's the youngest. No, Jack is the, was the one who's 11. He's, yeah. right now he's 13. Okay. Um, Michael is, um, at the, was at the time six. And Patrick was four or five. Okay, yeah. Patrick's like the a, one that makes me laugh really Yeah, hard. Patrick looks like mini me, Jim. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they all look like him, but Patrick is like, a, it's insane. Patrick looks like the, the ventriloquist puppet of Jim. Yeah. Um, but he was so sweet, but Michael, he was the middle boy. We really had to be like, you know, he was like, do you think you might get a shot when you get brain surgery? He was more worried about the shot. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, I don't think it's going to hurt that much, Michael. 
I really don't think it's going to hurt. Like, so we, de- we, we tailored it. And it was actually harder to tell my parents than yeah. it was to tell my kids. What was the, um, what time did you, what time was your surgery? My actual brain surgery was on Tuesday morning. Oh, really? The Monday procedure was called an embolization where they take a, um, do you want to hear this? I'm nervous right now that you asked, do I want to hear this? They take like a copper wire and thread it through your femoral artery up through all your circulatory system, through your carotid arteries into your brain tumor. And then they glue the blood vessels that are feeding the tumor shut. So you don't like bleed out during the surgery because you, your tumor has now become part of your body. So it's being, it has vascular. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and actually that surgery was not successful. They were not able to do it, but because they found out that I had some weak carotid arteries, I had like a a pre-existing condition that they found randomly, um, of weak carotid arteries. so So they're like, don't worry, we'll just do it old school. They're just going to do it old school. And, but also what they did find out is that because I had those, that FMD, it's called fibromuscular dysplasia, which is amazing because they never would have found out that I had that if they hadn't done a high level imaging like that. I could have just, you know, bungee jumped or done something that I can't do with weak, you know, there's certain things you can't do. What was the consequence of having a weak carotid artery? What, I mean, what is it? What does that mean? It means you can't do like headstands and yoga and go on uh, because they can't. It can't withstand the pressure. Yeah, it's I like see. weak. It's like bumpy walls inside your crotch. It's like a genetic, like one in a zillion. It just you know when you get this level of imaging, they're gonna find something. Right, it's right. like we all have some weird like yeah. third urethra or something. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. one, yeah. no one. No, you've lived with you your whole life, so right. you don't know. And yeah. it's like we're not all like perfect inside. So, so you're laying in. So Tuesday night, they're going in old school, and but, uh, they, but, but the carotid arteries are really important because this is a really important part of the story. Because if they had not found that out, the way that they were going to position my head during the surgery would have broken. Oh. My, yeah. So it was really good. So they had. So they were more concerned about the surgery. They were like, we don't know how we're going to put your head. Because the way we were going to angle your head, we have to now meet with the team and figure out how we're going to do the brain surgery. And at this point, I was looking forward to the brain surgery like it was my wedding. Yeah, or the get birth it of out, a child. man. Get it out. Yeah. Like I was like, I am literally like two seconds away from seizing and having like a stroke because mm-hmm. I I can't I can't stop seeing that thing in my head and hearing it going ha ha ha. Do you wish you could find out the day it sh- first showed up? I do. I do. I blame Jim for it too. <laughs> I'm like, can they? Could they tell you how long it had been there? Well, it could have been there growing as long as ten years, like wow. from a speck. Because here's why: I was so high functioning, I was like moving mountains in my life, and clearly it had to have been around for a few years. So if you think about what my last like five years were like, right? They were really, really busy, and I was very high functioning, and I wasn't incapacitated at all right so if it and that's another reason why they realized that it probably was not cancer he, he's like there's an 80 percent chance it's not cancer and here's why it's so big and it, where it is if it had been cancer the it way spread, it, it was spread well it would have spread but it would have grown the tumor would grow very quickly and all those little nerves and stuff would have been i would have been like it would have shot would have all the everything would have 
popped off really quick. You're right. like hearing function, done it, done it. Okay. Yes. And so because it was, it could have been 10 years from a spec and it just insidiously been growing a little by little. And then your nerves just find other ways to like function. Adjust, and you, right? And you're, yeah, adjust around it. And, and from the looks of it, it was like all the nerves were like becoming part of this hmm. thing, hmm. which was also really hard about getting it out because now every little tiny thing and they're like a hair, these nerves, controls something really important. Mm-hmm. And it was enmeshed with the tumor. Enmeshed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. And But there was a thing, and I haven't brought this up anywhere else except um, with my doctor, where when he was operating, he saw a part of it that seemed to be emitting from my brain rather than on my brain. So normally when you get a tumor, there's like a part that you can get around to get out. But if the tumor is the thing, like if the brain, like with certain brain cancers, it grows in your brain. So you'd have to take out your brain. Right. Right. It's inoperable is what they're called. Mm -hmm. And so they have to use like just radiation and chemotherapy to to, um, shrink it. But there was a moment when he really thought that it was completely in my brain. And then he found an area that he could cut around, cut around. Wow. Um, So it's like even, you know, and, but, but Jim really, this story for Jim starts when the day after the surgery, because the surgery was really successful. It was like a miracle successful. It was like nothing got cut. No nerves got cut. They knew I was going to have to recover for a long time because they were distended. The nerves were distended and compromised and they had to heal. Get them firing again so that ever you get full function. Yeah, and it's like they're supposed to be like this, but now they're like this. So they have to kind of like the brainstem has to move back into place. I mean, it's a healing process. What, what was the last thing you saw before you before you went in to under D- Dr. Betterson's hands? <laughs> his hands, and I touched them, and I asked God to bless his hands. I remember that I was like, God, oh, made me cry. bless bless these hands. <laughs> it's, it's actually a funny thing that happens. I said, bless these hands, and I touched his hands, and his hands were vibrated, and I realized that his hands were already blessed because they had saved so many lives. I yeah. felt them, and also he's a sculptor, and I felt like he might be something more than human. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm half crying, half laughing right now. I mean, I think that maybe like, like Rodan <laughs> and Michelangelo are like demigods. Right. Like they're part, there's something more to these yeah, people yeah, yeah. that can do things like that. Oh. And I felt it. Like it wasn't like his hands were like vibrating because I asked God to bless them. His hands were magic. Right. They were, I mean, in. I mean, who could cut people? He's so like, he saves lives. Who can do that? Not me. There's people. That's crazy. So then I looked around the room, even though the last thing was his hands. There were just video screens all over the room. And I realized that my life was in the hands also of like technology. And if there was like a generator failure or something, like you think these things. Oh, Jesus Christ. So I was like, oh, exactly. I was like, Jesus Christ, please bless these machines. Let's not have the big blackout. Oh my God, I wonder how many people were in surgery when that blackout happened in New York. They have generators, but there's a moment where there are dips and all those machines were watching. Everybody freeze for a second. No one move. No one move. All right, keep surgery. Those TVs and monitors, like people on them 
are on like the facial nerve. There's the facial nerve guy who's like, whoa, whoa, back off. Her face is going like crazy. Right? Wow. And he's like in this thing where there's a scope over the actual thing where he's looking at a fake picture of my brain and operating on my brain. Like this is crazy technology. And so much focus from that person. Oh my God. I mean, he is a genius. I'm like, I, this, this man saved my life. And so I then asked God to bless the technology in the room. I was like, and then I was like, oh, yeah, everyone thinks I'm crazy. And they're probably like, please put her out. And they're all going to laugh behind my back. I had these weird thoughts about, because it's embarrassing to ask people in this like very like secular world that we're in to be yeah. like, I believe in magic. And who's, I, your, who's your favorite saint? St. Joan of Arc. Okay. St. Jude. Oh, the patron saint of lost yeah. causes. Yeah. Um, makes sense. <laughs> I, got, I got Christopher around my neck too, but St. Jude, I'm a, I'm a big St. Jude, I always say, is like Eric Stoltz in, in Pulp Fiction. Where yeah. He's like, dude, don't bring her body to my house. Prank call her. Prank call her. <laughs> I mean, that's so amazing. Um, that's such an amazing comparison. But I think that all comedians should have a St. Christopher medal. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that they yeah. should. I think all comedians' wives, regardless of what religion you are, you know, because I mean, you saints are for everyone. Put a St. Christopher medal in your husband's luggage or mm-hmm. wife if you are a Husband Rich of Foss, a fan. If you're Rich, if you're Rich Wait, Foss, why? Is put it in Bonnie's uh, safe, uh, travelers? Safe travels, yeah. It's ah. safe travels, and like it's like it's a darn miracle that no, none of you guys have, or you know, some of you have. You know, I, I, whenever I hear about someone being in an accident, I'm like, Jim is traveling. You know, re- constantly, he more, yeah, constantly, yeah, constantly. And I'm, we just have to be every time. I mean, I, I have to stop taking it for granted. I just stop taking everything for granted. Like that's the lesson. It's like every sip of water, every breath of air, it's a gift. I'm totally torn right now because I'm going to the <sighs> store tonight, and I, I want to have drinks, but I want my health to be first. So part of me feels like. After this story, I just want to go there and hang out and not smoke pot and drink and just go, no, I'm having water tonight, guys, and then get it, go to sleep. I mean, it's like it's it really makes you think of all the times you trash your body, how lucky you are to have a functioning body. Well, but you know what? I do have to say I do. I, I don't want to say that I'm a monk. You know, I mean, it's like when I was in. The ER, which I mean, where I mean, in the um, ICU, which I'm getting to very quickly. I'm sorry I've got on a tangent, but my sister, I couldn't eat anything for a long time, and I had oh, to. Oh, I wish that would happen to Leanne. Keep going. And <laughs> um, my sister was like, "Can I, can I get you anything?" And I was like, you know, I would mouth because I couldn't, I didn't have any voice. And I was like, gin and tonics and chocolate ice cream. Because there's also that too. Yeah. There's the also there's the deprivation where you go, okay, I'm not eating gluten. Like you have to have balance. Like yeah. these things, like gin and tonics or whatever your drink is, your margarita, spicy margarita, whatever, that's a blessing too. You know, it's yeah. just like abusing your body, no, bad. But no, you I mean, I'm not I'm not proposing that anyone only drink water. I'm just saying when you couldn't drink water. You realize like water is pretty damn good. Water's so. Um, by the way, I'm, I've been drinking water this whole time. I don't know why. This whole time, I'm drinking water like crazy. Going, come on, Bert, flood out all the tumors. Like <laughs> I, I love. I've been. I've been. By, by the way, these water bottles, not these. They aren't. A, they aren't a sponsor. But 
water bottles have changed my life. Like I love ice cold water, ice, ice cold water. So you, so you come out. So, so you, how did, I want to know, how did you find out that you, that it was a successful okay, surgery? I, I opened my eyes. I couldn't move because I was from drugs. Right. It's like when you're out of surgery, it's not like you're like, woo. Right. I opened my eyes and I, I felt my body. I felt my body and I looked around. You smiled like, oh, okay, we're working. And the first thing, I mean, I, I simultaneously felt my body with this thought, which was, I'm me. Right. Because I remember thinking like, if if I get like lobotomized or whatever could happen, it's my brain. Oh, yeah. I'm not me anymore. Right. So who am I? Am I a vegetable? Because you have to sign the thing that says if you're a vegetable, do you pull the plug? Yeah. So I have that. I write about that in the book, too, because Jim and I had like 38 seconds to decide whether or not we just keep me around till you know, how long. Oh, Leanne and I had this conversation, too. Like, and, and yeah. I also get to have sex with her. Keep going. What? Oh. <laughs> I'm how, just sprinkling. How romantic. In. I'm just sprinkling um. in my my panic in this. So so 38 seconds to decide if you're a vegetable. You sign off. You wake up and you go. I'm, I'm me. I'm, what I'm a me. great fucking thought. Yeah, I was like, I think, therefore I am. I get it. I understand what that means. Like I am. I'm me. I'm here. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm so me. happy. I'm me. Yeah. I made it. I'm I made me. it. Yeah. I'm going to start saying that to myself. And then people when came in and they're up, like, hi. They're like, I think we got it all. And That's incredible. Who told you that? Who told you that? Uh, Leslie, the PA, who's like the comedian's wife to the brain surgeon. Yeah. She like does all the coordination. I mean, it's like the parallels is incredible. So anyway, and Jim is there. Everyone's so happy and all this stuff. And I go back to sleep. And when oh. I wake up, I'm intubated. I'm there's machines going off. There's like crash teams. So apparently when they remove the breathing tube, I aspirated oh, because no. my my uh swallow and everything got all messed up. And that's I think that's the medical What's term. Aspirated messed up. mean? What's aspirated? It means you <laughs> inhale your saliva that's into right. your lungs. <clears throat> Fuck, and then so you get pneumonia? Double lung, uh hospital barn strep pneumonia, which they can't resolve they can't try all these antibiotics and it's just getting worse and so i'm in the icu and i'm getting very close to not being alive and jim i find out later because right now i'm just pissed because i'm like i thought there was no one told me yeah he claims that he told me i had pneumonia but i'm like i'm like i didn't know why i was still in the icu i thought it was good and then i couldn't talk i couldn't i had the stuff going up my nose i had tubes all everywhere I had the bonnet on. I, could, I mean, I just, I saw a picture of it and it's like, I don't even recognize myself. And this is when Jim was like, I'm, you know, going to retire from comedy. I found out that he was like, I can't leave ever again. Like I have five kids. I don't know any teacher's names. You know, I barely know what school they go to. I don't like, know any teacher's names. He's like, I don't know the teacher's names. He realized that Jesus. he like can't work anymore. Like he doesn't have to, right? Yeah. He can, well, he you know. Could, he could retire. He could retire and do a show here and there. I mean, he could get through it, I guess, technically. But I'm sure it would. Oh, fuck me. And he was calling people that have like lost their wives. Like people in like your peer group, right? So 
he was, you know, it was close. So it's really, it's not the brain surgery that was he, he was most traumatized by the aftermath. Yeah. And all the feeding tubes and all the, you know, the tracheotomy and everything that I eventually had to get so I could get out of the hospital. Because when you're in the hospital, you get really, really sick. It's not like getting pneumonia and going to the hospital and having pneumonia. When it's hospital born, it's the worst because the worst crap is floating around in the hospital. My buddy, uh, my buddy was a producer on my show Trip Flip, and he got. I well, actually, I don't think that's how it happened, but he got pneumonia and they gave him medication and it, it killed him. The medication killed. I don't know. That's not a good parallel story, <laughs> but uh, but no, but it, it's it's hospital incredible. pneumonia is the bad and one. Staph infections. You know, anything that it's like you get blood infections in the hospital because there's my just my dad like, got that. My dad got a blood infection in the hospital. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Why is this okay? So, so the moral they, is keep yourself out of the hospital. Yeah, keep yourself out yeah, of the and hospital. They were like, yeah. And if you're in there, they're like, get out. So they started looking at things that would were keeping me in. That's why I got the tracheotomy. Is Be- that what's going on right now? No, right. This is a surgery I had of my vocal cord because that's the last. I still have a paralyzed left vocal cord. So I recently had a surgery called a type one thyroplasty to put an implant in order to give me my voice back. So my left vocal cord and my right vocal cord are now banded together to like function as one because that's like, usually they function independently and it strengthens my ability to swallow and all this stuff. So eventually I, I'm hoping to get my full voice back and I may have, have to have another surgery, but I can't complain. These are inpatient yeah, surgeries. Yeah, like, yeah. So, but no, my tracheostomy actually was down here. And, um, well, no, cause I got the scar revised. So I, it, I, it, they, they un like, it was like kind of puckered in. It looked like an innie belly button. Mm-hmm. So they re- released the skin and they, oh. so it looked kind of blends in with the wrinkles and the, the Irish, the Irish wrinkles in the neck, you know? Yeah. The rings your scar on the from tree. Your, on your head. Do you have a scar on your head from yeah, the surgery? It's, yeah, it's back. It's in my in hair. In your hair? Yeah, it's in my hair. Did they shave? You shaved your head. They shaved under my hair, which oh, is, that's cool. I mean, this Dr. Betterson, it's like he was he was thinking about the future. Right. I was like, shave my hair. He was concerned about giving me feeding tubes and tracheostomies because he didn't want to like give me scars. And I was like, dude. I don't care. I'm not a bikini model. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't. Just get it out, right? Right. Because the, the um, endotracheal, no. Well, there's some kind of tube that goes up your nose and down your throat. So that's the camera I've had. You had the camera down the throat. I had it up the nose and down. No, the I had it down the nose. I down the okay, nose. Okay, that I have had nose. that yeah, many times. It's, it's, and they squirt that uh, uh, Novocaine, yeah. uh, that like lidocaine. Yeah. They just go. Yeah, and then you get you taste it. Oh, it's horrible. I, I love the lady goes, uh, this is going to be a little annoying. You're going to get like a little bit of a drip and it's going to be numbing your throat. And I go, I've done cocaine enough. I know what we're doing. She was like, okay. <laughs> it's like. I mean, but without the without the high. Yeah, without the high, yeah. it's just it's just the numbness. I yeah. took a Xanax before I went. I took a Xanax, so I knew I was going to fucking flip out. No, I yeah. One of the things about the the Xanax and like any kind of pain pill for me during this time is that it compromised my breathing. 
Ooh. So I, you scary. know, when you, you know how, when you have to like, kind of like work to stay alive, yeah. you don't want to take anything. No. Yeah. So I had very mild painkillers during this entire time. So, um, because I had to, you know, when you take Xanax and, and, yeah. uh, uh, even some of the, um, painkillers that I, I get painkillers all the time because I have surgery all the time, but I need to be able to breathe correctly. Cause it's like, I can't, I can't breathe incorrectly because I'm still recovering. Yeah. Um, right now I can maintain like a 98 uh, oxygen on my own, but I couldn't, I mean, I could get above like 90 without a tank yeah. for a long time. So I'm just taking it easy on the, on the intoxication for when was recreational the, purposes. When was the first, <clears throat> what was the first visitor you had and what famous visitors showed up? And by the way, I my qualifier for famous is Mike Liam Black's famous. So Yeah, he didn't come. But, I, <laughs> but you know what though? He lives in Connecticut and also he texted me a lot. And I love him. I know you guys are friends with him. I saw him. He was in uh Jim in your show. Yes. I yeah. I yeah, I I really love Michael. Yeah. Um Who's the most famous person that visits you? Really? And I mean, and I was when on we, a, a whole thing was... about like lessons of life and you want to know who the most famous Okay. Yeah, yeah, most yeah, famous yeah. person I visited who visited me. Um old friend who happens to be famous right now i don't even know if you know who he is but you probably do um randomly was in new york and it counts as visiting me because this is a great story randomly was in new york called up uh jim to be like hey i'm in randomly new york lives in la he's like want to hang out <laughs> yeah meet and me he was like and he was like um my wife is, uh, Jeannie's having brain surgery. And he's like, you know, if you didn't want to see me, because he's a comedian, you know, yeah. he's like, you can come up with a better excuse than that. And he's like, no, I'm actually, I can't. And he goes, do you want me to come to the hospital? And and Jim is a real loner. Like the oh, fact yeah? that I write with Jim, like took a really long time. Yeah. And it started with me like producing CDs for him. And it was just like, could you tag it here? And then eventually we, I'm like, I, I, know, I can do this with you. But he's a loner. He wanted to be alone, but this friend was like, I'm coming. He showed up at the cafeteria and sat with Jim for like the 10 hour surgery. Um, Tony Hale. He's. Oh yeah. I know Tony. Hale. Yeah. yeah. He and I were in back in the, my Tony early twenties. Uh, what was the name of the. Is Buster on Arrested Development and he's on. Veep. Yeah. 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 Veep. He's on Veep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably the most famous person who came to visit me at the hospital. <laughs> he and I were in a sketch group in New York in our 20s together. Really? And so we're old friends. And so he just randomly, you know, like we're now we're like, I mean, now we're closer friends, but at the time we were like holiday card friends. Yeah. Like, oh, your kid's getting big, mine's getting yeah. big. And he just randomly was in New York and um, sat with Jim. Like, what? It just what like a, oh what a fucking no the, more of that less of the cancel culture and more let's let's hear stories of when people were awesome and they don't get credit for it you know what yeah. I mean like there's so many times where like you hear a story about that and you go God it makes me like that guy a lot he didn't he didn't there's no press to that there's no publicist involved nope. it's just a good fucking and also person. just even forget about press and publicist or whatever just regular Joe. Uh, yeah. lunch pail who is going to come to the hospital when you say your wife is having brain surgery oh okay I'll call you next year yeah, and be like, right. oh, yeah. most people don't want to come 
Right. He was like, where he's like, get in the cafeteria. He like showed up and oh. was like, and Jim was like, no, I just want to be alone. Because of course our priest and everyone was saying, Jim, you know, I want to come to the hospital and sit with you. And he said, I just want to be alone. Yeah. I just want to be alone and just sit there in the waiting room by myself. I don't want you. When when were you out of the woods where you could start having visitors? Um, about two weeks. So it took I you got two weeks. out of the ICU because yeah. I got off of. We start. We got the tracheostomy. Got rid of the intubation. Got the peg, which is a feeding tube, so I didn't have to the, the endonasal. That's what I was looking for. Tube, the one that goes up your mouth and down into your stomach to, to give the drip, of mm-hmm. the food. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Um, the peg, not much better, but way better than up the nose. Like having food through your nose is just, Ugh, I can't. Pass. And it, uh, j- it's just horrible. And it's also, you don't you don't taste it, but it kind of, com- you kind of uh, taste it. I've had food come out of my nose. I know I didn't like it. So I'm and sure. And it's kind of, all food kind of tastes like vomit that way. You know what I mean? Because that's what, that's the only food. Sorry. I mean, it's just, this is real. This is very real. This is real. This I'm, is what life, this is life. This you know, is this life. is what scares me is this is life. Yeah. That's what that's what's overwhelming me is that this is life. Yeah. It's, you can't hide from pain. You can't hide from that. And I really feel like you it might not be a brain tumor. It might not be up anything. It might night might not be cancer. Even though it seems like it's gonna be cancer for everyone, it's like that's the big fear. Mm-hmm. Like we're not like just because I had a brain tumor doesn't mean I'm exempt from cancer. I basically have always like waited for like to be diagnosed with cancer. I don't know if anyone else feels that way. I was just everybody's like, listening to this fucking thing. Yeah, everyone. I I just I mean it's like, I mean it is the worst. It is so. I mean every kind of cancer. I know someone who has it, young, old, whatever. Um, but you need to be aware, and I think that we have to teach our kids this too. You can't hide from pain. Mm-hmm. You gotta be prepared. Don't go through your life as Debbie Downer thinking like I'm gonna get cancer my whole life, but be like I'm gonna be ready when I get it because I, I'm gonna be ready to help someone. It's to hide from people who are sick, to hide from people who are disabled. I think is a detriment, and you can't force anyone to do anything. But if you're you know the hand that rocks the cradle, right? I feel like we have a we have an opportunity here. To show our kids we're not afraid of people who lost their legs. Like if you see someone like that on the street, don't go to the other way because you don't want your kid to to know about that stuff yet. That was very common when we were, I'm imagining we're roughly the same age, but that yeah. was very common when we were growing up. Hey, don't look, don't look. Yeah, I remember rude. that. Yeah. yeah, it's rude. Yeah. It's rude. rude to stare. Or at the kid with no hair, don't look. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, it's like, it's really important because you know, there are those people that go sail through their life and that not one thing goes wrong. But I'll tell you, it's not it's not normal. Because when we started after, I went through, first of all, Jim learned how to change my tracheotomy. He, I mean, you always hear about like, you know, when you're, we're going to be changing their diapers. Like I always picture me being the one to clean up after the old man. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. When you guys get old, I don't picture I'm the one. But Jim, learned, and he was funny. He did, he did bits. He did a whole, there's a whole series, a cooking show on YouTube called Feeding Frenzy, where he, he's like, welcome to Feeding Frenzy, where you can watch me peg my wife. And he, 
he <laughs> puts the baby food formula in the in the shaker like Tom Cruise and cocktail does this whole thing and he puts in the syringe he gives instructions then he has guests on the show and he's like you know Bert would you like to peg my wife and then he he and then he's like no no you're doing it right. give me that you know it's like the people who are the guests never are he's like well I wouldn't have done it that way but then again I'm I'm I've been an expert pegger for like 45 years like he does this bit is he aware he what did, pegging is i know it's something really gross and dirty but <laughs> i never looked at oh, no. i have no clue aware. i mean it's i would i would hope imagine. one day it's that you probably something me, to do yeah. with like a you no know, a wine cork and an orifice or something i can imagine but I, I mean i like really don't care because to me i think it's, it's a beautiful great. i think it's and also the people in the food tube community, like, we're like, thank you for normalizing this because we've never eaten through our mouth before. And like, the people from the, you know, dysphagia association reached out and said, you know, thank you. I mean, it was like this gift that I, because I was like, I'm not going to put this on YouTube, Jim. This is the most disgusting, embarrassing because I had a hose coming out of my, right. And they had to put the thing in. And he's like, come on. And he, He'd light a candle. He'd be like, it's a romantic dinner. Very funny. <laughs> Is this really on YouTube funny. now? It's on YouTube. It's called, it's on Jim's channel. He did this bit where he washed my hair and he did this character of how he was this woman from the South who was on her fifth husband. Like he, he was like the, you know, the, the gossipy beautician. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like, uh, Truvy. Steel Magnolias. Like Truvy and Steel Magnolias. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he was like gossiping about, you know, men, you know? Yeah. That's funny. And it was so funny. And I was just, I couldn't talk, but I was just like, he made these horrible things better. And yeah. before this, there were many times where I was like overwhelmed at home. And I was like, especially when your your kids start to get older and they start to di disobey you and you can't like control them anymore and they like run away and hide the Xbox from you. I'm like, we we have discipline problems sometimes in our family. And I'm like, Jim, I just need the dad to come home and be the, like, I can't do this all myself. And I would go, why am I married to a comedian? And then during the sickness, I was like, okay, God, I understand why I'm married to a comedian because he saved my life. He saved me when I would have gotten depressed. Like a feeding tube, you know, like not being able to wash my hair, like not be able to walk to the bathroom by myself. He was so funny. Yeah. He invented characters. He was like, your horse, my lady. And then he'd pick me up and put me on his back and go, <laughs> and take me to the bathroom and he I brought was like levity. laughing he brought levity to a very heavy situation yeah. well, that's very just healing to be, just to be fair if I was going to have a brain tumor removed followed by pneumonia that I was going to have to recover from Jim might be one of the only comedians There's not a hand, I wouldn't be like Stanhope would be great for this you know what I need David Tell I'm saying in my life yeah no no yeah no you were lucky my personal life yeah. it's Jim it's Jim. He it's is, not but, just Jim. It's the Jim and Jeannie. Like yeah. what? How? Why we know each other? It's like my no one else here is going to have the exact situation I have. Right, right. But there's going to be some reason when someday you two and you might have already happened are going to look at each other and be like, "Oh, we get it." Why in the beginning of time, 
are, this was designed to be. And surface is just looking at your kid and be like, oh, I get it. We made that together. We couldn't have done that with anyone else. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's just moments where little moments in life where you realize like it's not just a random series of little neurons firing. It's like there's a design. And I it's like in this that. situation, I was like, oh, okay. This is, how, this is why you're in my life. Yeah. Or one of the reasons. You're yeah. The this reasons. is right one now. Yeah. But because I can't imagine anyone telling me you're going to be on YouTube with a feeding tube. Like, I'm like, I would never do that. Like what that's like with my body showing and a hose that's private. That's a very private. Like that's like going to the bathroom practically, you know, I wouldn't do that on YouTube, but if you watch it, it's adorable, you know, and he's the reason it, he's just that crazy. And then I'm that crazy too. You know, it's like, but separately, I mean, you can't make up that this would ever happen, you know, that I had this thing and what happened and he canceled his shows and was my nurse. You know, it's like you just find your inner. I never would have thought like this is someone who doesn't, you know, pick up his he draw. He takes off his socks with his feet under his desk and leaves them there, leaves them there. Yeah. Doesn't put them out. So at least I can just bend. I have to crawl under. I'm like, I I can relate to that. Why don't you just push them out so I don't have to crawl under the desk to get them? And he's like, "I, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. You know, it's like this is someone who like is that not thinking about me crawling under the desk, but yet will give up everything, you know? So it's like people are, you know, people have lots of dimensions. Yes, they do. And you find them, you find them deeper when you go through, unfortunately, bad situations. Right. You find the good in people. When you, and in yourself, I would imagine after this, you, uh, ha- I would imagine that you feel stronger than you understood you ever were. Absolutely. Yeah. I would I imagine. feel stronger and I also feel, I, I'm not, not superior at all. No, but no, I no. do feel wiser uh, 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 as my own, as my own critic, right. not like wiser than you, but I feel wiser. I feel wiser because when I saw that I was just controlling just to, in order to feel like I was in control and I was robbing my kids of the ability to like take care of themselves. So now, you know, if my kid, my 10 year old comes up to me and goes, can I have a play date with Piper on Thursday? I'm like, yeah, you can, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to email her mom and you're going to ask permission. Then you're going to look on the calendar and you're going to see what you have after school that day. Because there's a lot of things that go into making a play date for you right. that you that I never thought before of connecting you with. Right. You just get the play date. And they actually want that. They really want that autonomy and independence and to be in charge of their own lives to the extent that they're capable, you know, maturity or whatever. They really want that. And I was not letting them because I was like, it's not efficient. Right. And it, it started to really strike me when, you know, let's say we'd be traveling and I would say, um, to my 10-year-old, Katie, can you call room service and ask them to pick up this tray? Because it's like we have this tiny room and this huge table in it. I need it out. I'm doing something. And she was like, there's so many buttons on this phone. 
she's 10. Right. She can do an iPad and all this other stuff, but like a hotel phone that literally has buttons with a picture of a guy with a tray. Right. Yeah. She went with a cord. We don't have one of those. Right. And I was like, figure it out. Figure out how to use that phone. Yeah. Because, because you can. And when you when you let them know that you believe they can, they intrinsically start building self-esteem. Yeah. Right? When you set them up to succeed and you say, I believe in you, you can do it. That's what grows healthy self-esteem faster than anything else. Yes. Yeah. Is achieving on their own feet. It's really powerful. That's really powerful that you shifted from A to B. And it, it does it make you feel um, less stressed or more stressed to let them just be in control of things more? I mean, I'm just less stressed in general. In general. Like, I feel like I would get stressed before when they... You know, when, when my sister would say something like, I let my kids make breakfast, I'd be like, oh, I'm so stressed thinking about them making breakfast. They put their like <laughs> egg hands all over everything and, you know, or whatever. Their egg hands all over everything. You yeah. come in, all four burners are going, <laughs> the blender's going. Yeah, you just picture that like happy Mother's Day. Right. Uh, oh, thanks you know, like a, a lot. Classic. But Dad, do you like your chicken medium rare or rare? This has made me realize that like it's actually like so positive to give and empower them to do oh, yeah. that kind of stuff that it's stress reliever. Yes, yeah, you don't sweat the small stuff. You know, right. really at the end of the day, are you gonna remember the breakfast they made you or the mess you had to clean right. up? It's the breakfast. It's the breakfast right. they made you. And so we do a thing where we do a sign up sheet. So on Sunday nights. <laughs> wait. Okay, wait. Before we even start this, does Jim have to do any chores? No, but he packs. Hey, <laughs> there we go. He packs himself. Okay. He, he also himself. now he also does like when one of the things that um, I remember hearing an interview with um, Ray Romano at, at years ago, <laughs> and someone said to him, "When did you really realize that you were such a success?" And he said, when my wife stopped complaining that I was throwing my clothes in the middle of the floor. Oh, wow. That's when I realized. I guess I haven't made it yet. And I and nope. I said to Jim, I guess you haven't made it yet. Right. Because I don't think I'm ever going to. No, I'm never going to. No matter how. But the thing was, is because I'm like, dude, it's in the middle. Yeah. You didn't even kick oh, yeah. it to the side. It's like literally yeah. in my path. Size 13 shoes in the middle. In the middle. Yeah. So he is like a little bit more conscious of like. Not, like I'm not irritating him as much when I'm just like, look, the thing is, is like wedding dishes. I'd rather just have it dry. Right. Like there's certain things that he's trained about because probably because he doesn't want me to complain. Yeah. But also there's a, in, I feel like since I've been sick, he cares a little bit more. Right. Because he, he sees, a- he did it. He did right. it himself. He did pickups. He did. He relates a little bit more, right, to what it's it's like to be me, right. And I relate a little bit more of what it's like to be him. And I we did do a little bit of a Freaky Friday rehearsal right. because I was like, you know, you know, he said he says things that I re- overreact to in in our in our history. What is that supposed to mean? And when. He was my caregiver. Afterwards, I said things that offended him where he was like, don't you remember? I was there and I did all this work. And I'm like, no, I don't really remember that at all. And he's like, how you didn't see that I and I'm like, none of the kids see anything I do. 
You yeah. know, it's like you have to understand, like that's part of being like a caregiver. Yeah. Right. I, I, Am I, I boring? I, you? No, no, no. <laughs> I no, I can't I can't get past I can't get past It's been like a few things in my life where I was like, How does that even work? Like can't imagine if I did that. Like maybe maybe talking about stand up. Like can't imagine what what kind of work it would take to get like get to being a successful stand up and then people say stuff oh like you got to bomb a lot that terrifies people. I'm looking at that through this story going like I can't imagine having the wisdom to to go through something as intense as you what you went through i can't imagine all the things that you had to deal with that i just i admit like i immediately go oh i would shut down like i would not i You'd couldn't be do surprised, it surprised though because it's like when you're talking about like the shark like that's what i was thinking it's like if you're alone you're gonna be terrified that you're gonna snorkel and the shark's gonna eat oh yeah you. yeah 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 but you're snorkeling with your kids a the experience of seeing the coral reef with your kids supersedes the fear of being eaten by a shark. And then your fear of getting eaten by a shark is completely wiped out by the fact that you're going to protect your children. Right? Do you understand that? I, how the I, two... I, I, yeah, I can understand little parts of your story where you go, no, I'm having it taken out on Tuesday. I'm rela- Now I can... I'm, this, I'm getting this taken care of. I did. I did. A, I've said this story so many times. But it's the only thing I went and got a full CT scan for uh, to see if I was going to have a stroke or if I had any blood clot problems in my heart, any blockage. And I was so terrified going in that they would say I had a problem. And this old black woman said, and I and people go, "Well, why should I be black, Bert? Because it's better when black women give you advice like this. It means more. It's it's richer." But she, she was really black. She was yeah, but yeah, but, yeah, so, but no, mean, but but it's but it, but like, why would you include that? Because I think it adds character to the story. She says, "Honey, it is better that you walk through those doors than we wheel you through those doors." And I went, "What?" She goes, "I see people getting wheeled in through those doors so they can find the blockage. The fact that you walk through those doors means they'll never wheel you through those doors." And I just I think about that so fucking much, where I go. You got to get in front of it. You got to, like, every time I go to the doctor, I hate it. I hate it. When I had kids, I changed. I was the opposite. I never went to the doctor for anything. And when I got, when I had kids, I was like, I'm getting physical every year. Every single year. You're more evolved than I was. Like, now I am. Right. Now I'm like that. Right. But before, it's like the years were just going by. Yeah. Yeah. And I I always thought, like, oh, yeah, I'll get a mammogram someday. I'll get on there. I'll get on there. Like, or whatever. And now, like, also, there's this new thing where Jim has skin cancer. He does? It, it's small. Yeah. He can get a, it's deal, because, because people die from that shit. Of course. Well, yeah. It's like, very they dangerous, get a little yeah. badat, and they're like, nah. And then they're dead, and like, because they, it spreads. Yeah. So he gets his twice a year, because he's that pale Irish well, skin. I got to go who, check for skin cancer. Well, yes, you do. I do. You do. Last time I was there, I was like, can you check me for skin cancer? And she was like, No. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'm good. No, make an appointment with a dermatologist. By the way, your insurance pays for it. Yeah, I should get a dermatology appointment. And Jim, now you they should. said they want to see him twice a year. 
By the way, did you just see what I just did? What? You told your whole story. You go, get a dermatology appointment. That's right. And I looked at Leanne and I go, I should get a dermatology appointment. And she was like, yeah, you should. You should. Did you learn nothing from this story? Go ahead. Set up your appointment. What, you can do it. How, how long ago did this happen? And how long after it happened did you start writing the book? Okay. So it, this happened in 2017, April. Okay. It's now, what, 2019? That was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. So... The first year, I was pretty, like, it was about me physically recovering. But because I am a writer, I had to write during that recovery time, even when I couldn't physically write. So, like, for instance, in the hospital, I was giving Jim bits about medical stuff. So what happened was I would come out of the MRI and I'd be like, write this down. This is so funny. The clown horn. Like I would give him a list of stuff to write down, but it wouldn't make any sense. Then later I could look at it and be like, oh, okay, you know those clown horns that like I would make stuff up and bullet point it. So a lot of it I had to decipher. My sister would come visit me and I would complain to her about all the other members of my family who like had bad breath and like (laughs) things like that. So I told her, write down, let's make a list of do's and don'ts in the hospital. I read that list. I read that list. So that's the list. That's why it's not that good. Because, it, But it's real. It's exactly what I was saying at the time. I didn't edit it later and polish it up. So the first thing that happened was is that about six months after my surgery, we did uh, Noble Ape, which is a comedy special. With like half like, an hour. For two seconds, I was like, hold on. I know Noble Ape. It's Jim's special. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. I'm I, sorry. I'm, it's, I feel like it's also mine because yeah. it's like basically all about like my brain tumor. But a lot of the material from his point of view and also stuff that I kind of came up with went into the writing of that. Mm-hmm. So obviously the book is not Jim's stand-up material. Okay. Yeah. I want to make that very clear. But- I had a lot of like poems and weird, like kind of com- comic observations that I made during that year of from discovery to recovery. And um, I compiled them in different you know, notes on the iPhone or on my sister's. I had a lot of stuff. So before I was writing the, I mean, uh, had brain surgery, I was writing a book at, that was loosely called House Runner which was like how to run your house like a TV show. But it was like a funny kind of Amy Sedaris style, big pictures of like laundry rooms with, you know, kind of applied the production concept to the home, the wardrobe department, catering, right. You know, craft services. That's really clever. So craft services. Meanwhile, I had a book agent. So he's also my friend because he was also our, our did our deals on uh, Dad is Fat and Food of Love Story, which I was a story editor of. So he's my friend, lived in downtown near us. He checked in to see if I was okay about like a few weeks after I got home. And I was like, Simon, I'm late on the book. You know, I was thinking he was calling me being like, where's the manuscript? Oh, yeah. And he was like, there is no book, Jeannie. Don't worry about it. He goes, people, if you want to write a book, you're going to have to tell this insane story about how you just survived an enormous brain tumor with five kids. And it's insane. That's the book. And I was like, no, 
I'm not writing that book. I'm going to put a chapter in the House Runner book about, oh, yeah, and then I had a brain tumor. He's like, no. He's like, you, if you're writing a book, that's what, he's like, everyone's calling me being like, what's going on with Jeannie Gaffigan? So I'm like, fine. So I realized I'm not going to be like 10 years ago, I had a tumor in my brain. I've got to do it now because I got to move on and it's going to be cathartic for me to do this. So what I did was I did a chronology. What happened? What happened? Try to figure out for myself. And then I had all these other notes. And so I felt like I was kind of interviewing my sick self because I was like, what's a clown horn? Or that I keep using that example, but I can't think of anything else. But it's, or, oh, a list. Oh, the shift schedule. Like, this is all part of the story. Yeah. And then also, like, if you noticed, when I'm stuck in the ICU, there's like kind of this time standstill. And I make these observations about how it's like Vegas, but without the fun, you're trapped and all this stuff. But also, that's like the moments when I would like talk to God or have a memory of my childhood. Or whatever. So there was a lot of structure that I worked on then. So in 2018, at, I don't know, around uh, Christmas, around December, the holidays, I gave a manuscript to Simon and I said, you know, here's a manuscript. And then he was like, okay, we need to make this into a proposal because it's so long. It was like 700 pages. It was like a manifesto. <laughs> So I made a manuscript, I made a proposal and then he shopped it around and I got some offers and I got, you know, a deal. And then um, I got an editor and then in January she was like, okay, let's start working on this. So what's happened over the past year has just been like, this is too long, this is too short, this is chapters that have a name. Um, editing. You know, I used to have a, yeah, editing. I used to have like a long appendix with, uh, like a glossary of terms that were like funny, like what, like pet term, like, and then she, you know, was like, it ends on such a uplifting note that it almost seems like the the glossary will be a little bit too glib. Like we could do that as like a promo or something. And then I did the uh, an acknowledgement that was like I I didn't thank anybody in the acknowledgement except I thanked my brain tumor and. I was like, thank you, brain tumor, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have met Dr. Joshua Betterson. You know, that I, so I named everyone, but I made it seem like it was about thanking the brain tumor for bringing these people together. Yeah. So that was kind of a comic. That's great. Uh, bit. But so then here we are. So it was all that. And then wow. I'm going to move on and get another brain tumor, write another book. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. How were your kids when in your recovery? Were any of them afraid of you or like scared of what they no. saw? I mean, here's what happened. My kids were amazing. Mm. Jim kept them away from the ICU. Both of Jim's parents passed away mm-hmm. before I met him. Mm. And he has a bad, he doesn't, do not want the kids to see me. He doesn't, you know, who knows if that's the last memory of your like, you know, yeah. you have the yeah. pictures of your mother's like makeup on and beautiful. And then you have the picture of, and he was, a boy. So he was not. They did that to me with my uncle Hig. They brought me in. He had cancer and they said, you should say goodbye to him. And he was, didn't even look like the guy I knew. He had lost all his weight and they had, uh, not lollipops, but, uh, 
like a it looked like a lollipop with a sponge on yeah. it. And he was that's how he was getting his water. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, and that's you don't really really forget that. And he probably didn't even know you came in the room. Probably not. No. no. I mean, the kids didn't come because eventually there's a visit from my boy. My daughter came when I was out because she was going on a school trip and wanted to see me. And they left. Let her. When I moved into that other room, when Mm -hmm. I started to have visitors. Yeah. And my my thing is, I also want to say, if you're funny you should be visiting people in the hospital because it helped me heal. Funny people help you heal. Really? And I mean, when people come in and they're like, hi, I'm so sorry. It makes you worse. I don't know. I just feel like we're programmed to like put on a sad face and it probably forces you you to care for them. If they come in, uh, concerned or upset or fragile, uh, my instinct would be to make them feel better. Which is yeah. not the purpose, right? right? The purpose and, is for them to make you feel better. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying be inappropriate, but like my my comedian friends were amazing, right? Like my friend Karen came in and she was like, "You're not even bald." That was the first <laughs> thing she said, <laughs> and I it made me so happy. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "That robe that looks great on you." <laughs> and then she's like, "When you're model skinny, you can wear anything." Because that was like this big, right? Yeah. I look like Auschwitz. Wait, who's Karen? Do I know her? Karen Burgreen. She's a. Uh, I know Karen Burgreen very well. Yeah, I adore her. She, I love Karen Burgreen. Karen came and visited me in the hospital and made Jews me laugh. for Jesus. Aren't those called Christians? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's so funny. By the way, I hope Karen hears this and goes, "God damn it! Did Bert just say one of my jokes from 20 years ago?" Isn't that- That's. I mean, she is so funny. But also, we have a, like a texting relationship where she'll like just see a picture and text me a picture and make a comment on it, and we'll go back and forth. I'm like, we've got 20 minutes on this picture. Like, it's like having funny people in your life. It's such an amazing, yeah. wonderful thing, and I'm so grateful for it because it. I feel like it helped me heal. I I can't say there was one thing. Obviously, the chief of neurosurgery. You know, my husband being a really funny guy. Funny people visiting me in the hospital love of my family and children. there was a lot of factors but in the book i really was like were was recognizing that that's a need that i have maybe other people don't have the need to laugh and to make people laugh but like coming up with how this is funny was so therapeutic for me yeah and after we started doing the material about the medical stuff Mm-hmm. On stage, we found out that an enormous portion of every man who is in the audience has been in a hospital. Right. Has had these experiences, has been with a parent, with a spouse, God forbid, a child. A child yeah. You know, they know the, the bureaucracy, they know the smells, they know the, you know, the feeling you, you after you drink the gastro uh, for the. What is that? The that colonoscopy? The barium? The barium? The drink that makes you have diarrhea? I think it's barium. Yeah, like the it's colors like Jim does this whole bit about a col- like me forcing him to get one. Oh my god! And it's hilarious. Uh-huh. So I have a question. Yeah. What was the hardest thing to recover from? What took the longest, or was the most difficult? Um, swallowing. 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 Was it because of the nerve um, having to readjust itself after removing the tumor? Yeah, the swallowing was the worst. Was it? How long did it take? 
It's still. It's still. That's I what still the swallow therapy. They, well, this is a surgery for for your vocal, vocal cords, cord, but right. it's all part of it. Yeah, yeah. It, I can swallow better now that I had the surgery, but swallowing for sure. And also my recovery, the most difficult part of my recovery was not eating or drinking. Right. Nothing by mouth. How it long? Four months. Four months. That's a really long time. And then I'm sure you didn't just eat a pizza. You had to- No, I had to eat yeah, like two bites of applesauce. Right. And stuff like that. Wow. But it was like- Can I you eat like a cheeseburger now? Now I can eat a cheeseburger. As a matter of fact, I had a monk fasting from cheeseburgers for me in solidarity. Oh my God. I ate a cheeseburger. <laughs> so it gave me actually motivation because I was like, this poor guy can't eat a cheeseburger. Right. And he was like, he's like, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah, yeah. And he's a monk. So it's like, that's his one treat. Now I've taken it away from him. I, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I did it. I actually, the, the first cheeseburger I ate is on actually my Instagram feed because really? yeah. What's your um, Instagram? I, what's um, Jeannie Gaffigan. It's, it's very creative. <laughs> um, so I didn't really swallow it, but I tasted it. Yeah. I mean, it can't, some of them went down. Right. I've done that before when I'm dieting. G E A J E A J E A N N I E G A F F I G A N. Follow. Yeah. It, did you lose anything permanently? Is anything like I have your sense of taste, sense of smell? Yeah, I mean, I my my left vocal cord is permanently paralyzed, right. and it's a spastic paralysis paralysis. So it doesn't it doesn't comply with all like this. That's why this surgery wasn't like what you know. This is a very common surgery. I see, but it didn't really do as well as we had hoped. I have um, you know hearing loss. But it's doing really, you know, I have a hearing aid. I'm not wearing it right now because it's it's weird around like headset. I, th I thought I'd be wearing a headphone, but um, I don't wear it on like podcasts or the air or anything. Um, I wear glasses now. Mm. and I did, we had 2020 vision before. So nothing I can really complain about. Oh, and I have tingling. I have half of my body, my right side is really not as sensitive to like heat and pain. Interesting. So, so those those nerve that whatever that is, it nerve that is in your brain is dulled. Sounds like it's kind of yeah. Dulled. It's it's something to do with something called the spinopathic tract. Mm. So it's not. It's like it's nothing. The brain is very weird. It's a weird thing. Like well, it's all the, electric, right? It's all electric. Yeah. So there's this kind of weird numbness in this side of my body. Right. And if I stand in a pool. One leg will be cold and the other one will just feel like I'm in like kind of a room temperature jello. How interesting. Yeah. It's just like something. I'm sure like it will come back at some point. But you know, it's, you know what's refreshing about you is as I look at your Instagram, there's no pictures of you. Like it's what? all of you. It's, it's just your family. Like you're like a legit mom. Like it's like, oh, here's Jim and the kids in Africa on safari. Here are the two boys together. Here's my daughter. Here we all are. Well, there are like the last like five ones are like all plugging my book, which is like very unusual for me. I'm like, oh, is this creepy? But it's like things happen now. And I also people gave me quotes. And so when they gave me the graphic for the quote, it's the book cover, which is me. Right. So it looks like I'm shamelessly plugging my book. But if you look at all the reason I'm doing it, it's because 
people wrote really nice things about it. That's great. So well, like, I've been, I enjoyed it. I like I said, we got it late Friday. You see my bookmark. I took it about the halfway through. You're about to go into surgery. I got to that place, but I'm definitely finishing it. And you know, I have a podcast. It's not nearly as popular as Bert's, but I'm going to have us read this as a book club and book club it, um, if that's okay. Of course. Um, so I yeah, I, have, I do a book club once a month, and I think this would be a great book club because your story is is really miraculous, really. And you know, I'm not religious. But I very much believe in having faith in God. Wait, who's and this? Believing that your path is where it's that is to be. Leslie Schlechter, the I, PA. I was wondering, yeah, that's Leslie Schlechter. I was, I thought that's what she looked like. <laughs> I'm sorry, Leanne, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. I don't like that. Picture. But she's like six foot two. Yeah, and she's beautiful. The pictures in here, yeah. even the black and white. I was like, wow, that's a really pretty lady. Who is that? Yeah. I thought it was your friend until I read. You know the book. She also is my friend. But here we go, like, ladies and gentlemen. It's your friend forever, I'm sure. This is the first bite of a cheeseburger. And you asked about that, not knowing that was my first bite. Of it. So if you start choking, okay. we'll just right. continue with our meal. If I start choking, I can wash it down. That's all the point. Your kids are oblivious to this moment. Which is really what you want, right? Yeah. Someone's trying hot sauce, that looks like, for the first time. God, now I want a cheeseburger. Uh, it was a good one. Well, what a gift you've given your kids to see you go through something so uh, intense and challenging and long-lasting and terrifying as to see how you handle it and have recovered from it and what a team the two of you were. That's a really big gift. And, you know, not that anybody wants that gift, but no. if that's the end result of the gift, that's amazing. That's something that they won't learn anywhere else in life. And if you take your pears and make a pear cobbler out of it, yeah. that's a good thing to do, right? Is to say, look what we can do as a family. We can do anything. Yes. And we can do it with God. Like I said, I'm not religious, I, I, but I do very much believe in God. I'm very religious. And he was definitely at play in this story. It was... I mean, you can't make this stuff up. No, the stuff with the Mount Sinai, I was like, oh my God, this is the way life actually is supposed to work in general. I'm so happy that Bert asked me if I was like, hey, can I get a little special room for a comedian's wife? And there was nothing like that. Right. Like, I'm so glad he asked me that because I feel like people are like, I bet that's why all this good stuff happened right. to her. Because she was in the VIP back door. No. And I sure wasn't. It happened because that's the way it was supposed to be. Yes. Because that's the path that was laid out. Right? And believe me, I've been the beneficiary of uh, getting VIP service from being at sure. you know, Montreal or whatever and getting the back door and not waiting in the front or whatever. Sure. I've, I'm not going to say that I'm, I haven't been the beneficiary of that. But in this situation, I was a number. Right. But I wasn't. Because something happened. Right. And I experienced both where I couldn't, I literally was like, yeah, I just told you I have a mass in my brain and I, I need an appointment. And they're like, uh, three weeks. Is this your first? Are you a new? Did you send the report? It was the clinical, uninterested responses I was blown away by. But you know what's really bad about that, I think, is that the general public, my dad, would have been like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to wait three weeks. You're lucky. I you, did. You, you, uh, everybody I did does that. because you trust you trust these doctors and somebody should have said, no, 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 no. 
she needs to be there today. Somebody who's seen that and it was a professional should have said that for you because how are you supposed to know? That bothers me so much that somewhat that it took your perseverance and your having a childhood friend or a, a childhood friend's husband and your all these things that you put into play that allowed the Red Sea to part that a lot of people don't have, you know. I also want to say that like I didn't really push this in the book so much it's kind of implicit. But be your own advocate. Absolutely. Like, Whoa, be, that's that what a, I mean. You, you've yep. been, that, yeah, you are taking words out of Leanne's mouth. She has said that to our children. Advocate for yourself. Be your own advocate. Our daughter's dyslexic, by the way. And so and so a lot of times, and she won't stand up for herself. She gets extra time on tests. And Leanne says, I can't help you if you don't advocate for yourself. Be your own advocate. I believe in that so much. Be your own advocate. I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing to say. Because we just bend over and take it all the time. Yes. And they tell us, go to the back of the line, just be, you know, because we're like, oh, you're a, doc, you're a medical receptionist. I better listen to you. Yes, I'll go to the and back like, of the line. Right. And know? every once in a while, like this time I was like, I was like, oh, maybe that receptionist will think I'm crazy and won't like me if I go and ask again, why is my doctor, oh, Jesus, I why would you, why would he say, get an MRI Come back in two weeks. I'll give you the results. And why are you saying sit here until it calls you? Right. I know. We, if I had, I, I mean, it's like I did. I had to be like, wait a minute. I can't just sit here until he calls me. Right. He's not. Because then in an hour, I'm going to be like, oh, wait a minute. I just remembered. There's my doctor isn't here. Like right. I, you have to take. And I think all these little tiny lessons I took along the way. And I know that. You can't go from zero to brain tumor in like one second. Or maybe you can. It's like the thing where you're like can barely lift a weight and then your kid gets trapped under a car and you just lift it right off of them. Right, yeah. right. Maybe that's in you. I know you're like, I don't know how you could deal with this because I would freak out. But yet you can deal with the shark, the, the, the idea of the shark when you're with your kids. Right. Yeah. And I would say that you would even punch the shark in the nose. You wouldn't be like, eat me, shark. You'd be like, you better not touch my kid. Yeah. Because that thing comes out of you. Yeah, it that, does. Like, daddy bear. And you get that way. I really feel like all these little pains and going through your career and going through a rejection and a bunch of all the shit you have to eat and all the scary pregnancy stuff. It all builds up a little bit more of this stamina for getting to be able to face right Something the really scary, yeah. the really um, tough stuff and and to advocate for yourself when you need to. Advocating for yourself takes practice. I think you have to practice and you have to have opportunities presented to you for you to practice. But I think also a lesson I learned from being a parent: our oldest daughter Georgia, when she was three, uh, tripped over her own feet. And fell and broke her jaw and her four front teeth here, right under the jawline. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is really bad. I'm going to stay calm, but we're going to go see a pediatric dentist like now. Went to see her and she had me hold Georgia while she examined her. And as soon as she opened Georgia's mouth, the dentist's face totally changed. And I went, we're fucked. Something's wrong. This is bad. And when that when she told me, yes, yeah, she's broken her jaw and she's broken her teeth and had to be surgically removed, something activated in me where I was like, this was, this is happening tomorrow. This is how we are not sitting with this in her mouth another day. Let's get this done now. And I stayed really calm with her. But to be able to do that for yourself is not an instinct. 
I have for myself until I had kids. And then I went, well, why can't I just apply that to me? <laughs> like yeah. I should be taking care of me with the same fierceness that I take care of my children because I'm- So I have to say that even though I, at first I was like, well, mic, I wasn't in mic, like that. In the mic, in the mic, oh, Sorry. At first, <laughs> at first I was like, I didn't, I know, I feel like we're all just hanging out. I, you, I, forgot, like, no, I, I forgot we were on a podcast. <laughs> I was like, I literally didn't see the camera. I was like, I'm just hanging out. Um, I, what, now I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, you were talking about the, to remind me what we were Being talking fierce about. fierce for yourself. When, when she held Georgia, she told the look, right. she's like, oh. Okay, so I had said, oh, you're so much more wise than me because you're applying it to yourself and I was just applying it to everyone else. But like, I just realized as we're speaking that the, except for like minor things like a sprained foot or whatever, the brain tumor thing was the first time right. that I was like, it's something wrong with me. And I was like, get it out. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm like, I'm not waiting. Right. Oh, I, when I hear people talk about cancer and then they go, yeah, I have an appointment in a month. I go, whoa. I could tell you something that's happening right now in my life where I'm like, what? I would never take like a month, a month, a month. And if they said cancer, you got to advocate for yeah, yourself. Yeah, you got to push. Just, Don't be afraid to be a jerk. We have six more tests to do before we can tell you if, what other tests you need. Okay. It's like I... Can we book them all tomorrow? Right. All six. Let's do it. They should They should have um, time. Uh, an advocate app. Like we're, an we're advocate app, app where it gives you phrases you can use. Yeah. Ham at the doctor's <laughs> office is an organ. Yeah. These, are, uh, these are known phrases that, that receptionists at a doctor's office have said work with them. Yeah. And then you're like, awesome. Like we were, our, we just uh, had a real estate agent. And I said to Leanne, I said, I absolutely love her. She said, why? I said, she seems like the kind of person that gets the table at the restaurant, even though there aren't any tables available. And I like that in people because I'm not that person. I will stand by the trash can and eat my lunch on the trash can because I just won't advocate for myself. I'm really glad uh, this happened. I mean, I've been a fan of Jim's. I've known Jim for... Probably 20 years. You mean the podcast. You're glad the podcast happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, not, but not, you know what? Tumor, I'm glad man. the brain tumor happened. <laughs> Just, what'd you say? I'm glad the brain tumor happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, what? What? nothing's wrong with me. I have right. a few minor right, right. things. Can I tell you that part of me goes, like, there's a weird parallel. I got a sneaker guy. Someone hooked me, hook me up with the sneaker guy. Do you know where this is going? No idea, but I'm interested in this weird parallel. I was like, oh, yeah, I like certain sneakers, but I can't always find them. They go, yeah, let me, let me, Crystal is like, let me give you my sneaker guy. So I was like, great. So I hit him up. And I was like, oh, cool. I got a sneaker guy. You're my tumor guy. So like, if I ever get a <laughs> tumor, I now know that I can just call you and go, hey, I got a tumor too. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm freaking out. Can you talk to Leanne on the phone and help me figure out a game plan? <laughs> Tell brain. me what you did. Like, well, actually, any kind of like crisis in general, but like brain, I know a lot about. But any kind of crisis in general, just in terms of like the reaction, you know what I mean? Like what, who's around you? What helped me? And, you know, it's not for everyone. Like I, some people are like, you know, wouldn't be as reliant on like humor or prayer or family. But those are the things. You got me. A, you got me. I'll never. As long as I do this podcast, you got. I've never cried that quickly. When you said you grabbed the guy's hands, that is so me. Yeah, that, that is, is so. Very hard. That is like that. 
I mean, I'm still I'm crying again. That is so. That is like right up my fucking alley. That is like God. I mean, when you said that, I went, oh, that is where my head's at, my heart's at. Oh, I don't think I'll ever forget that. As long as I fucking do this podcast. I think that when you said, I'm glad this happened, I know you meant about the podcast. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> but I just say that I'm glad that I had a brain tumor. I'm very glad I did. And I think that I've gained more than I lost in the end. Mm-hmm. And I know this could have gone a different way. And at that point, I probably wouldn't be saying I'm grateful I had the brain tumor because I'd probably be dead or my husband would be, you know, not making people laugh anymore and being, you know, daddy daycare or whatever. But that's not what happened. What happened was I went through on this journey that was really, really hard and I gained more than I lost Yeah. on the journey. So, and it was for a purpose. And it was for a purpose. It was for a purpose. Even if maybe the purpose was to write this book so that someone else who's going through something similar, doesn't feel alone. Because I think so many people, especially today, feel very alone and don't know where to turn for, companionship's the wrong word, but for someone who is is something they can relate to in a very real way. So that's a really huge gift you give to the world by processing this, taking notes through the whole thing. I mean, I can't believe you were in ICU making notes. I mean, that's pretty exceptional. It was a coping mechanism. I'm sure. Like when we went, you, you guys probably know when you went through some of your, you know, traumas, like being, like processing it through the lens of comedy helps. Yes, it does. It takes the edge off. It does. And but so, what a gift you gave to the world. That's a huge well, gift. thank you. It's not, there's no Shakespeare. It's no the Bible. <laughs> Doesn't need to be. But it's like it's it's. I hope so because it, it it more of it came out for me than the a lifestyle change came out for me. Right. And um, you know, the book is um very a casual tone of voice. It's like me talking to my friend. I didn't write it to impress anyone. Right. I don't really care if people like uh, that comedian's wife thinks she's a writer. I don't care. I wrote it like a blog. Mm-hmm. It's very conversational. Yeah. It's very I, easy to read. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. And I mean, I, I I think of the person in the car who's just got bad news and going, hearing this going, she's still here. Like you, you sometimes you live. We're all going to die, but sometimes you live. Sometimes you live. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this, Jeannie. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.